Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Dorkside Toys. At DorksideToys.com, you can get the latest Star Wars toys, as well as Marvel, G.I. Joe, The Walking Dead, and more. Run by toy fans, you can be assured your order will be given great attention and packed with care. Sign up to their social channels now for stock alerts, reviews, and toy and movie news. DorksideToys.com. You'd be a dork not to shop there. Welcome to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and convention coverage, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other listeners, find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube pages, support our Podbean crowdfunding campaign, and much more. Star Wars Action News, covering the whole galaxy of Star Wars toys. Welcome to Star Wars Action News. This is Marjorie. This is Arnie, and we have joining us this week one of our video editors and our companion up at New York Comic Con, Daryl. Hey, everybody. Daryl, this was your first time at New York Comic Con, right? Yes, and uh, had a great time. Great to meet uh, the few people that I did. Uh, a lot bigger than I expected, so that was nice, but uh, had a great time overall. Well, we will get to New York Comic Con in just a minute. We've got so much coverage. We have exclusive interviews with Hasbro, Kotobukiya, Funko, Tantrum Cases. Who are they? We'll talk about them. (laughs) Comic book artist John Tyler Christopher. But first, I thought New York Comic Con was going to be the biggest news of the week. And then Lucasfilm dropped the third Rogue One trailer. They're calling it Trailer 2, which confuses me, because I guess the first one was really just the teaser trailer, then the second one was the full trailer number one. But now we have the last full-length trailer for Rogue One, and I've watched it about a half dozen times in the first day it was out. I thought it looked pretty good. What about you guys? I saw it this morning on GMA. Nice plug for them. I'm sure that's exactly why they showed it. I'm a big George Stephanopoulos fan. You guys may not know that about me, but I absolutely love a little George. I have a lot of questions about how inserting a movie into two existing trilogies is going to work. And I have a lot of questions about continuity, and I'm very curious on how that's going to be handled. That being said, it, it feels like it's not... Kind of like how the prequels didn't feel like Star Wars, but they were in... Like the same universe. This kind of feels that way. I'm kind of, I know, I got to see the whole thing. It's all very confusing and conflicting inside, you know? Well, I think some of that is uh, due to the the sharpness of the picture that we have nowadays. I mean, it's never going to feel like that old, you know, 77 scratchy film type feel to it or look to it. Uh, I don't know if that's part of what 
what you or other people are having a problem with. I know some people are saying, you know, these ships weren't around and why are they bringing out these new items like that? Um, I'm loving the timeline. Uh, I thought this trailer did great with kind of explain, explaining some of the story that we're going to get in this film with Jen's dad kind of having a, a big part in building the Death Star and why she gets involved and everything. So I thought it looked great. I thought it sounded great. And my anticipation is, is even higher now which is dangerous because I don't want to be disappointed. (laughs) I'd say that this trailer brought me back up. When I saw that teaser trailer, I was really hyped. I thought the trailer looked better than the Force Awakens trailers. I was frustrated by the Force Awakens trailers because all they told me was Star Wars is back. Han Solo is back. We knew that before we ever saw the trailer. So I needed something there and I got it when I saw the movie. I thought the Rogue One teaser trailer, seeing the Death Star, seeing the Rebellion, seeing Mon Mothma, the same actress who played her in episode three's cutscenes, <laughs> all of that really worked for me. The second one felt like a bit of a retread and the story seemed more rote. It didn't grab me and I was kind of tempering expectations. But this one, seeing the at acts and really good shots of all the characters, seeing that we're going to have flashbacks to Jin as a little girl, that's going to be a very different type of Star Wars movie. And I'm excited. Admittedly, I am a continuity nerd who's going to be like, all right, so there's Death Troopers a few minutes before A New Hope, but there aren't Death Troopers in A New Hope. They all died. That's what's going to happen. And that's when you call shenanigans. And all the TIE strikers versus the TIE fighters. I can go with the evolution going forward. Okay, they invented a TIE interceptor. They invented an A-wing. I can go with the ATACTs because later on, you know, by the time we get to the Battle of Hoth, four years have passed. Sure, we can upgrade the model, but I just want to see how they do it or if they even care. If I have to go read James Lucino's prequel novel to get all that information. But no, I am now counting down the days to Rogue One. Got a whole bunch of new toys we're going to be talking about. I can't wait till our next show also. I have so many to review now. Black (laughs) Series, 5POA. My Amazon exclusive Shadow Trooper helmet came the day we're recording. I'm like, I need to open it. Yeah, the mailman was quite happy with me this week from ordering online with Rogue One or Rogue Friday and everything. I got several packages in the mail when I got home from New York Comic Con. Yeah, there were a lot of boxes, and I'm still going through opening them, but more came today, and that's where I got the Shadow Trooper helmet. But yeah, I mean, there's just so much news coming out of New York Comic Con. Now, Daryl, you said it was bigger than you expected. Is this the biggest convention you've ever attended? Uh, yes, I believe it is. Uh, you know, I've, I've been to C2E2. I've been to most of all of the celebrations. There's been the first one I missed and uh, a couple over in uh, one over in Europe that I missed. So I've been to most of those. Never been to San Diego Comic-Con myself, but it was definitely to me. Can, I thought it was the biggest that I've ever attended. Packed every day, you know tough getting through the the aisles looking at stuff uh didn't depend, attend too many panels but the ones i did try to go to weren't completely full so that was nice but yeah i had a good experience and and i know they had some trouble with lines uh, marjorie was kind of following along on their on twitter and everything like that people complaining about six hour waits to get in and stuff uh one advantage to having a press pass of going there and covering it was we kind of had a side door to go through but uh, it was definitely definitely large yeah, there were some problems with, I, I want to say 
just the city layout because Javits Center, where it's held, is held on the very edge of Manhattan on the east side. I'm sorry, on the west side of Manhattan. And, I mean, it's the river and then Javits. But when you line up, you've still got the city streets and the grid. So they were directing people all the way around to the north side of the building. Well, the line actually started, just to give you an idea, Javits, the door was at 34th Street. People were lined up as far as 49th to get in all along the street. So what happens, people would go in on the lower numbers below 49th and cut in line and just get in the big line. And the people at the end, some of the people got in line super early Friday morning and didn't get in until early afternoon. Yeah, crazy. I do think this is the second largest con in the country. I think San Diego is number one, despite the numbers. New York Comic Con had their biggest attendance ever this year. Over 180,000 people attended. But I think they were able to have that many because they expanded to Madison Square Garden and were able to have a lot of people there because Javits Center is big, but I think that they max it out. So... No Wizard World, even C2E2, doesn't compare to this. The floor was abysmal over the weekend. Thursday, Friday, we were able to move pretty well. Saturday, and even Sunday, and we stayed till about 3 o'clock on Sunday, and I just kept thinking, hey, it's going to let up. It never let up. No, it never did. It was, I think you said it best when you said obnoxious. Because it's not as big as some of your other convention centers. It's not near as big as McCormick Center in Chicago. No. And I was just confronted with huge walls of people who all were going whatever way they wanted. And there was no order. I would say that they had very few volunteers this year directing crowd flow. And just like making sure the traffic was moving and everything. They had these great signs set up in the lobby that said, hey, don't stop traffic. Pull off to the side or get into an open area away from an aisle to take cosplay photos. No one listened to it. No one read it. I didn't see but one volunteer in a crew shirt at the Marvel booth. And the guy was directing traffic at the freebie tables where I got body checked. I might want to add over a free poster that, as the crew person delightfully pointed out, it's probably going to end up in your trash next week anyway. Yeah, that Marvel booth was crazy. Uh, I know on the giveaways, you guys didn't have too much problem getting the stuff in their actual store part, but that was kind of a a big congregation area. They had Stan Lee signing some other uh, people from their you know, projects such as uh, movies that are coming out, some of the new TV shows that are coming out. And when you got around that area, it was really, really cramped. Uh, some of the aisles for the regular booths didn't seem all that large either. I guess they're about normal size for most cons. But when you have a con that size, maybe you need just a little bit more room between those aisles uh, for those people to get through. The exhibit floor felt really small this year, though. I think that it's Well, because they put Artist Alley way off in an annex at the end, it's hard to compare to C2E2 where everything is on the same floor. But compared to San Diego Comic-Con, this is tiny. It is. And it kind of felt kind of wonky. The high-numbered booths were really crammed together tight. And when you got into, like, the low below, like, 800, there was, like, these beautiful wide aisles that were great where you could actually kind of maneuver and get over. But the high numbers, I couldn't even make it through all those aisles because it was just, like, traffic jam, traffic jam. And I couldn't even move through them because they were so narrow. And that said, there wasn't a whole lot of reason to go to 
those high numbered aisles. I think all of us went looking for shopping, looking for vintage figures, statue deals, all of that. And we all live in the Midwest. So whatever we bought, we'd have to ship. But there did not seem to be too many great prices and virtually no negotiation. Yeah, I didn't end up buying really anything at any booths there. Uh, Actually, had better luck outside the con at at some stores that I wanted to try, which actually those stores had booths at the con, but it was a little bit easier to buy stuff in their stores like Toy Tokyo and uh, My Plastic Heart, uh, really like the... uh, the designer vinyl kind of figures. And so I picked up some of those. But as far as the vintage Star Wars, uh, there was plenty of it there. It's just the prices were so high as they have been here lately that there wasn't a lot for me to buy in those booths. I did buy Marjorie an early Christmas gift, but because we were traveling together and things, it did not stay secret. (laughs) But one of the booths there had a Celebration One badge set, which in and of itself doesn't excite me because we weren't at Celebration 1. Like you, Daryl, we started our celebrations with two. And so I consider the badge sets more souvenirs. And I only got two and three because starting with four, you know, the Jedi Knight, Jedi Master badges weren't even included with the sets, so I didn't buy them. But this Episode 1 set had something special. The Jar Jar badge, the child's badge, was signed by Ahmed Best. Yes, it's very exciting. This is my second autographed item from Ahmed Best. A kind listener sent me an autographed photo. I didn't even realize you had the photo. Yeah, he sent me an Ahmed Best autographed photo. That's right. I remember you telling me that now. So now I feel even worse about my Christmas gift to you that it was a second autograph. No, but it's really cool because it's on the Jar Jar badge, which I don't have. I don't have that badge. Well, now you have that badge and an entire Celebration 1 set. So Yes. And the guy bargained a little bit. I think I got like 10 bucks knocked off of it. It wasn't... A huge savings, but I've been looking on eBay, and I'm at best autographs run about $100 on their own, so, but now I feel bad as I'm looking on eBay as I record, and that badge set is listed there for one-third the price I paid and has Ahmed Best's autograph on it. I think he might have been autographing those badges for free because there's a lot of them autographed. You didn't do your usual check eBay before you purchase. I didn't. Actually, I did, but... I saw it for the price being asked with no autograph, and Ahmed Best autographs alone usually go for 100 I thought, hey, I'm getting a badge set here. I thought I was getting a bargain, but no, if you want this badge set with an Ahmed Best autograph, yeah, eBay right now, 40 bucks. Go ahead. <laughs> so I'm regretting this purchase 18 different ways right now. <laughs> I'm really happy to get it. I don't know what your problem is. I was excited. You're silly. I bought you gifts, which I can't tell you what they are, because I managed to buy them, carry them all over the convention one day, keep them in our hotel room, and have them shipped home, and you still don't know. You know, like, the toy category, but you don't know what it is. I have no idea. But really, I wasn't there for too much shopping. I mean, there were some exclusives. Daryl, it's kind of ironic. You had me at Celebration pick you up the Beast Kingdom exclusive gold and silver Stormtrooper and Sand Trooper egg attack figures. And yeah, they were there at New York Comic Con as well. 
Yeah, I could have easily picked them up. And actually, they were shipping them direct to your home. And so could have saved everybody some panic on that. (laughs) (laughs) But really, I went for the news. You know, for me, New York Comic Con is the third most important collector event in a year. Number one is probably, honestly, San Diego Comic Con. Number two is New York Toy Fair. And number three is New York Comic Con. And Hasbro... We were talking about this. Our first New York Comic Con was 2011, and Hasbro had a booth there and had new waves of figures. They had exclusives being sold, not Star Wars, but they had a couple different Marvel exclusive figures and things. And then I guess it didn't go well because they just completely cut out. And ever since, from 2012 on, they've just had this party. They call it Twas the Night Before Party. They rent a loft. They put out some new waves of figures. They make it press only and ply us with alcohol. And it's just a good time to mingle with the Hasbro team, take some pictures of some new figures, mingle with our friends who work at the other sites and cover this stuff, and meet new people. And this year was very much a Star Wars year for that. More so than last year, I think. Last year it felt like there was a lot of Star Wars, but we'd seen virtually all of it already because Force Friday had happened and what they had out was the Force Friday stuff. But this year, we got to see a few new figures, plus the ATACT was there being used, being demonstrated. I mean, that's the big vehicle for Rogue One, and it's not out yet. I'd say the most exciting stuff, probably the six-inch figures for Bays and Cherit. Are those correct pronunciations? Have you heard anyone actually speak those in the in the credits or anything like that? Well, Bayes, I don't think I'm getting wrong. Uh, cheer it, cheer it. They were saying it during the Hasbro panel, but no, I've not heard it in anything. I may be mispronouncing this. I may look back on this episode chagrin <laughs> once the movie comes out. Yeah, that's all I was wondering was just, you know, correction wise. Are, are we going to look back on these names and think, what was I thinking when I first said those names, you know, three months ago? But both of those figures are just loaded with accessories. They're beefy figures with a lot of weapons. These look like a couple of the best figures in the Black Series line. Then they also the next day at a private interview brought out director Krennic and they went with, you know, a pretty basic Imperial officer thing. If they never make a Thrawn, though, I think you got a body here that can be a good custom base. Yeah, that white robe and white outfit definitely, you know, sets him apart from anything we've seen before in this line. In their panel, they said that his cape is removable because the way they phrased it was there may be scenes in the movie where he's not wearing his cape. Now, maybe they've seen a lot of the movie and know that maybe there's casual Krennic and he takes his cape off when in his quarters, but leaves the rest of his uniform on. Maybe he only puts the cape on when Vader's coming to kick his ass in the carbon freezing chamber. That's how I'm interpreting that scene in the trailer. But maybe they also are thinking, hey, this is a good Imperial officer body. And if we make the cape removable, we have a lot of opportunities here. But the panel felt really drawn out. Like, I was live Facebook and tweeting it, and Marjorie was there with me. Daryl, you were just flying in during this period. And I got this feeling, and I've had this feeling with some Hasbro panels before. They had, like, three slides per figure showing first shots and 3D 
designs and going into so much detail about the figures. And it was Baze, Chirrut, Krennic, and this new six-inch Darth Vader. Their third Darth Vader, but they're saying it's the definitive Darth Vader. They heard people weren't happy with the other Darth Vaders. This one has some markings. No Darth Vader figure in the past has ever had because they can't get that detailed. And I started making, like, the stretching it out motion to Marjorie. Well, by contrast, other Hasbro panels I've been to at various conventions, like San Diego, for example, or Celebration, I am struggling to tweet as fast as they are saying things. I know things like that. No Jar Jar 6-inch yet, but maybe it'll happen. And this, I was able to take photos, I was able to upload the photos, I could type, type, type at a leisurely pace. I've never seen under 20 slides in a PowerPoint presentation last so long. (laughs) No, we have seen Hasbro do this before. I think last year at San Diego was a very similar event where they showed us the big TIE fighter and they showed us the TIE fighter pilot and from... The Force Awakens, but because it wasn't Force Friday, they couldn't show us anything else. So they did the exact same kind of three, four slides per figure, but we're only going to talk about like four figures and then a handful of three and three quarter inch figures, some of which are looking really cool. That new Admiral Raddus. I got to see if the Ginger Prince is going to be all in on all Mon Calamari admirals or only (laughs) Akbar. but Raddus looks pretty cool. Yeah, at least you didn't have a half an hour of Angry Birds this year or anything like that. Just think back to the panels you've had before. Oh, my God. My anger in Germany. Yeah. When, I'm like, fool me one shame on you by talking only Angry Birds at San Diego. Fool me twice the very next week doing the same thing in Germany. I blew my stack. Not to anybody at Hasbro, but you guys saw me pretty mad. And Ginger Prince was... I think I went to stand in line with him right after, and I probably was sounding like Lewis Black on a tirade. (laughs) No, they did show some cool three and three quarter inch figures as well and talked about the detail they're putting in there. Sabine looks amazing. Darth Maul and the Seventh Sister with her removable mask. Just they're putting a lot of intricacy into these figures. And so they enjoyed showing those off. And because they're doing a few Rebels figures and a few original trilogy figures in the three and three quarter inch line, I think they were able to talk about those more, but still not a ton. Just a lot of this is going to be Rogue One stuff and they're just not ready or Lucasfilm is not letting them talk about it. They did say that they were not under strict an embargo as they were for The Force Awakens. Right. Things had let up a little bit. They threw JJ under the bus for that. They said the exact same thing. I did do an interview with Hasbro in late September. They did a online press Q&A through Google Hangouts. And yeah, they said back then that Lucasfilm was more relaxed with the information that they put out. But that doesn't mean that it's a free-for-all. But while we are at New York Comic Con, I did get a chance to talk to the Hasbro brand team for Star Wars and about their upcoming figures and some of the distribution and quality that's going on there. So here is that interview. So we're here at New York Comic Con with the Hasbro brand team. Guys, I know you pretty well after all these years, but why don't you introduce yourselves so people at home can learn who you are. All right. Well, I'm Steve Evans, design director. Uh, Joe Ninavaji, marketing director. So 
right now, start just really broad. What do you think is going really well with your Star Wars lines right now? <laughs> wow, people want them. <laughs> uh, from a creative point of view, um, the amount of new characters, new ships, new freshness all the time, constant. Uh, that, that really excites us and makes us, um, uh, engages us, which engages fans. There's chatter going on every day online and with, with events like this. Um, so it's just a really rich time creatively to kind of make toys, make stories, stuff like that. So that's my kind of creative point of view. Yeah, I mean, it, it's exciting because... Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, both the Black Series 6-inch and our core 5-point articulated 3-3-quarter-inch line are both doing phenomenally well, which is great to see because it's sort of... You know, we've really wrestled with sort of how we do both of those lines to appeal to the greatest number of fans and to see them doing that well um, is terrific. They did great through Episode 7, and now they're, you know, just really doing great for uh, Rogue One. So then to counter that, what are your biggest challenges that you see right now? I think um, I think the biggest challenge, honestly, is how do we handle the amount of new content and get it into our lines quick enough, and and but it, it's just you can't you can't get an entire movie's worth of characters out before you're on to the next one or the next one. And I think we do a nice job of hitting that season hard, getting most of it out, and then sort of peppering throughout the years to use Steve's term. Um, but it, but it's a challenge. You know, we want to do it all, but we can't, and uh, it's going to take a little bit of time. And we're used to having years to stretch out and you know really take our time and do every every character and every iteration. But now it's it's kind of fast and furious. Yeah. I second that. There you go. Yeah. And how has the collector focus on the six-inch line changed that from you know previous years? Because like you say, you had several years to do that when looking at episode three or episode two. But by the same token, those had huge launches with maybe 30, 40 different characters represented you know, within the first couple of months. But the six-inch series has a much slower release schedule. Yeah. You're right. I mean, the... the the amount of effort that goes into super articulated figures is is a lot higher. You know, it takes a long time. The, it takes 12 to 18 months to create a single character, and you know, we've got year and year and year. So, yeah, the the, the offering is smaller at the six inch scale, um, just by just by the very nature of it. Um, but as Joe says, it's the kind of getting that formula of aligning it to the entertainment this year, and then peppering in classics or prequels, or you know, we're still going to kind of hit some episode seven characters that we haven't done so you know that's that's going to happen of those episode seven characters we've heard you guys refer to the term the parking lot in the past about characters that are there what episode seven characters are currently sitting in the parking lot that you haven't had a chance to get to <laughs> well there's one who's got a really big parking space uh you know we're, we're looking at luke so luke is on his way i mean luke we didn't see like the rest of you um what he looked like until very late in the game you know so well was his I mean, he's a secret in the story, secret in the movie, and he was a secret everywhere. So there's, there's no surprise that we didn't see a lot of Luke, episode seven Luke stuff come out. So he's coming. So, and there are some other ones that we kind of want to hit, which we will talk about when it, when it comes to that, to that moment. But uh, yeah, it's such a rich bed of, of characters that we can choose from. It's, it's, it's seemingly never ending. I'm just glad we got Constable Zoo. Um, with the six-inch Black series, when it debuted, it felt like what you guys were coming out with was the ultimate version of each character. You know, you came out with Han Solo and you had the gloved hands, the headset, you know, the various different pieces. And so it felt like, okay, these are more expensive figures, but this is 
the version of Han Solo versus five or six like you do in the three and three quarter. Mm. These days it feels like the accessories have really been scaled back. And you look at the Kylo Ren. There was the Kylo Ren and now coming out with the unmasked version of things. Uh, why has that happened and that trend occurring? I, I, can, I can talk to that. And it's, I would agree with you and disagree with you at the same time. So there are ones like old Han. Let's say, you know, episode seven Han. It came with a blaster. On the flip side of that, you look at Chirrut. It's got he's got a, he's got a staff that splits in two. He's got the new uh, articulated weapon. So it kind of case by case. Sometimes they have a lot. Sometimes they they they, they don't. Um, manufacturing processes, labor costs, plastic costs, petrol costs, uh, all contribute to that. So even in the course of like a few years, you know, the the way that we make it changes. So we just have to react to that. And what we try and do is protect that sort of consumable price point, that kind of twenty buck, nineteen ninety nine dollar consumable price point because black series is collectible but it's consumable collectibles it's you know it's it's i'd like people to get lots and to be able to kind of display them out and recreate those scenes so i agree with you in some cases but others you know you'll see you'll see um accessories coming in in this sort of rogue one release where there's the same amount of accessories as there were but equally there there aren't in others Joe, when we were at San Diego Comic-Con, I kind of brought up the idea about uh, bringing back old characters that people who may have gotten into the six-inch line late now have a real hard time getting. Darth Maul, there's the Chinese bootlegs out there that are as plentiful as the original ones, R2-D2. Any chance of those shipping again, bringing them back? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think you'll see in 17 a lot of instances of that. We... It's been, I can't believe it, but we launched that in Fall 13, so there are new fans because of new movies and, and the heat of Star Wars kind of getting you know higher that are coming into the line that, that don't have access to those, and that's certainly not what we want. So yeah, we'll, we'll be re-releasing a number of figures. question, I took a lot of listener questions after your panel this morning, and one that came in was about the six-inch uh, Walgreens exclusive C-3PO, mm. and the question of why make the gold version the exclusive and the red arm version the regular one? We... 3PO came out in episode 7, right? That was sort of the uh, of the moment, so we wanted to make that as quickly as possible. And Walgreens has been such a phenomenal partner for us. They have locations everywhere. Everybody has access to a Walgreens. They are able to, you know, do a, a large quantity of the figures. So we felt really good about taking a core character like 3PO in his, you know, normal F4, F5, was it F4 or 5? F4 version. Um, and, and doing him as an exclusive in this case because we felt like everybody would get access to him. Um, so, it, it, you know, they're both available. We've just, uh, it was really just a, Ep7 was of the time, and we decided to do that first. And speaking of the Walgreens exclusives, we got a number of international collectors actually saying it's really hard for them to get the Walgreens yeah. exclusives. There's a Walgreens everywhere here in the States. Sure. But mm-hmm. a lot of the international collectors are feeling really burned by the number of exclusives coming out that are hard for them to get overseas. You're absolutely right. I mean, first of all, we never do an exclusive for a region. It's not a U.S. exclusive. There's access to have that everywhere. And then, of course, it depends on the individual market and if they're taking it and where. Um, so in that case, um, I would just say for 3PO specifically, just be patient because you'll have the opportunity to get him. So exclusives for us from a design, design perspective allows to have real flexibility about doing those kind of like more unusual characters. I know 3PO is not an unusual character, but to, to do more unusual characters, to do larger boxes, to do different bases and all the kind of extra stuff that we can put with it. Um, it gives us so much more flexibility, which I ultimately believe that fans want, but sometimes we just can't deliver it as a mainline. It just doesn't make practical sense in terms of the numbers and things. So absolutely 
understand there's a fine balance between the fun of the hunt because I'm a collector at that mm-hmm. there's a little bit there everyone loves that little bit of kind of difficulty in getting things and when you get it all the more sweeter so um, I would I will not move away from exclusives by any stretch and we'll always make those special and unusual because I think that's kind of they're exclusive that's that's what it that's what it means but I want people to better get them. Speaking of that, with the Walmart Scarif Trooper, people are actually just planning to troop build those. Are those going to be shipping in a high enough number to accommodate that? You'll notice if you walk into a Walmart that that particular character has a lot of presence and in their spot, you know, there's a, a, a ton being made and shipped and you should be able to get that pretty soon. Yeah, and that's why we made him the kind of the private, yeah. that kind of the grunt, the grunt trooper. Yeah. He's, not a, he's not a squad leader or a captain. He is the one that you need hundred of <laughs> guys well thank you very much for your time really thank appreciate you. it and good to see you on. love the six inch stuff coming out and really good sculpts on that now at the panel i had to fly out of there during the q a because hasbro's pr people like to make me just panic with scheduling i had to interview the hasbro marvel team in the middle of the Star Wars panel. So since there wasn't a whole lot of information, I ran out during the Q&A. But apparently Marjorie was telling me somebody asked about bendy weapons. Yeah, there were a few rants that went on. (laughs) Mainly centered around a highly articulated three and three quarter inch series of figures that only exist at Walmart and in limited quantities. But someone did get a word in edgewise about how the weapons often get bendy and they're shipped that way and it's very soft and malleable plastic and they suggested putting it in warm water and they should pop right back into shape. Yeah, what you had told me is they said heat it and I'm thinking heat it? Do I, am I supposed to bake it at 350? I, I don't know how this, what do you mean heat it? But well, no, the- I, I did get clarification from them what they meant by heat it and what they meant was just take a cup of hot water like maybe you'd steep tea in drop your weapon in it if it's bent because what they said is plastic has a memory for its original shape and if you make it hot then when it cools it will regain its original molded form so do not bake your weapons because then you're going to have little melted plastic as for the three and three quarter inch figures if i can get on a soapbox here a little bit why i already saw the soapboxes piled like four and five high for the q a Daryl, I'm interested in your perspective on this, but I'm honestly a little bit disappointed in segments of Star Wars fandom right now. The Q&A we just played, I put up on YouTube, thanks to Barrett getting that edited and up during the con. We wanted to get that information out on our YouTube channel as fast as we could and then put it here on the show for the majority of our audience. And it's not this one commenter's fault, but he brought something to my attention when he called me a coward for not asking about highly articulated three and three quarter inch figures. And that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, first of all, I did the Q&A with them just three weeks ago, and I was the one who asked about highly articulated figures, and they told me there will be two waves at Walmart and they're not ready to discuss additional plans. They didn't announce anything in the panel. They didn't have anything new on display at the party. They weren't ready to talk about it. And my time with them seemed really short because they were running behind. I had a bunch more questions, including one about super articulated three and three quarter. Ran out of time before I could ask it. But truthfully, it was a low priority question for me because that question has been asked and answered. And Marjorie, you 
we're at the panel during the Q&A. Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe Hasbro knows that there are people who want highly articulated three and three quarter inch figures? I'm going to say yes. As the very first question in the Q&A was a guy who went on for seemed like 15 minutes about the three and three quarter inch figures and how his he's out of collecting now because these aren't being made and rant, 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 rabble, rabble, rabble. And you could just see them up on the stage just kind of like, oh, all right, this again? Okay. Oh, he's still going, guys. Hey. I mean, they, they just... You're not asking anything that hasn't already been asked by asking this. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, Obviously, we have to kind of balance our questions. And, you know, some of these questions we think other sites and other, you know, press sources are going to ask. So they're going to they're going to come out one way or the other, I guess, is kind of my feeling about it. So some of those questions, you know, not necessarily softball questions, but just those popular questions are probably going to get asked by someone here or there, and we're going to find out those answers. Like you said, you asked them three weeks before, uh, kind of the same thing. So going back into an interview with them a month later, less than a month later, you don't want to ask those same questions again. You want to get those higher priority questions asked first and try to get answers for those rather than just repeating the same thing. You know, it's just like the distribution question. I think they learned that the distribution was bad because everyone kept asking them at every panel and every press junket or whatever, you know, about their distribution. So they're definitely hearing it. It's not that we have to ask it every single time. So I don't think you did anything wrong by not asking it in that interview. But yeah, I can see where fans are somewhat upset. Uh, I was have been able to find them. I actually had a friend find them and help me out with the latest wave, the Ahsoka and the uh, Emperor's Royal Guard. I didn't pick up the other two, but they seem to be out there in pretty good quantity this time. Here's the other thing, though. That guy you talked about, Marjorie, first of all, by the end of his question, didn't you say the whole room broke up in laughter? Yeah, because it was literally this rambling rant. And... Was he the only one to ask about super articulated three and three quarters in the Q&A portion? No, he was not. So it is a common topic. And you're right, Daryl. Exactly. When I'm coming up with my questions, I try not to ask the same questions everybody else is. Now, I did converse very politely, and the guy apologized for calling me a coward. But we went back and forth on YouTube just a couple times, and I stated what I've said now, and... He pointed out that, yeah, Jedi Temple did ask these questions. His stance was everyone should ask this question all the time so that Hasbro keeps hearing it and then will succumb and give three and three quarter inch highly articulated figures. I don't think it's the fact that they don't know, but I think the quickest way to get that question erased off any interview topic is by repeatedly asking it. If you recall, back, way back when we did the Hasbro Q&As, they used to do weekly, then bi-weekly, and monthly. Eventually, it got to the point where they're like, you cannot ask about when are you making blank figure. Yeah, and I still never ask that, because if they were going to... Let us know? They would do in the panel. Now, every so often, you do get a little bit of information. If I hint around at stuff, they'll tell us, you know, figures are being looked at or something like that, or figures aren't. You can kind of get a yay or never, but... They're not going to make a major announcement during a Q&A like this. They have partnerships with USA Today, Entertainment Weekly, and their own events, like at San Diego, where they're going to announce it. 
they wouldn't talk at all about what they're doing for the 40th anniversary. I have a feeling that's because it's the big anvil they're going to drop at Toy Fair is their 40th anniversary plans. Yeah, and that makes sense to do it there, where you're at an industry event where you're going to have buyers, and it is traditionally where the big announcements come because of that. That's my rationale. However, it got me thinking, this is where my disappointment comes in. I feel like whenever I deal with the Hasbro team, even when I'm bringing up issues with distribution and issues with quality and issues with them not meeting, you know, the fans high level of expectation, I think I'm doing it politely and I think I'm doing it respectfully and I'm I'm listening to their answer and I'm actually hearing their answer even if it's not what I want to hear. And by listening to them, I'm no expert. I don't work in their industry and know all of their Chinese costs and everything, but I've learned a lot about the toy manufacturing and the costing of it and the rising costs. But I'm not seeing that level of respect from Star Wars fans. And yeah, there's that guy who you said rambled and ranted and said he's not collecting anymore. You know, if your hobby is not bringing you pleasure, then you should find another hobby. Take up fishing or skeet shooting or ice skating. But your hobbies should be things that alleviate your stress. And if you go to the toy aisle every time and you're mad because there's only five POA figures at Toys R Us... Ranting is a way to kind of get a sect of fandom shut down, not how you get what you want. Pestering, being argumentative, coming on fan sites, and God knows, it's not just our Facebook page. I see it on Yak Face's Facebook page, Jedi Temple's Facebook page, Jedi News, but people at rail with just bile that I thought previously only reserved for this year's presidential election about not getting what they want. And I don't know. I was frustrated when 5POA first came out. I felt it was a little cheap. I think they've improved a lot. I love the six-inch figures. I'm enjoying this hobby, and I hope that fans can step up and be a little bit more adult on this. I know we buy kids' toys, but we don't have to act like children if we don't get what we want. Here's the thing. If you don't like it, don't buy it. But at the same time... Things change. I know we've had action figures for a very long time. The last 10 years have been very turbulent in the world and in collecting in general. And I think that, you know, it's not always going to be the same as it was. Star Wars is different than it was 10 years ago. You know, I am somewhat in that guy's shoes. I used to collect almost all Hasbro and everything uh, carded, but because of the problems that we, we had with finding the figures, I was one that loved to go on toy runs and loved to see the figure first. I'm not one that wants to buy an entire case before I see the figure and hold it in my hand. So, so I can, I kind of got out of collecting Hasbro and I found other things to collect like the, the egg attack beast kingdom things and different things like that, that I've, focused on. I still get an occasional Hasbro figure, but all in all, the the best way to influence Hasbro is not necessarily by repeatedly telling them, but by showing them with your dollar. And when we buy these super articulated figures at Walmart, it shows them that there is a want for those figures. And if they can't keep up with it, then they realize that there's that need. Whereas if, you know, the figures just remain on the shelves, then they're going to stop producing them. So the 
still the best way to do it is with your dollar. You're exactly right. When they started the Walmart exclusive Black Series three and three quarter inch line, I talked to Joe Ninavaji about it. And I'm like, what about making it mainstream? Why does it have to be exclusive? And what he told me is they're looking very closely at the sales of the Walmart figures to see if they can justify making Black Series figures a wider release. And if they sell well enough, then they can. And they sold well enough that Walmart got two more waves. So that is heartening. But obviously, it wasn't enough to justify a complete relaunch. But they are looking at that. Voting with your dollar is something I always advocate. I didn't buy the five POA figures when they were just re-releasing figures I had better versions of, like another Boba Fett and another Luke and those two packs. I got the ones that looked really cool. I got the ones that I didn't have. Now I am kicking myself because I'm a completist and I'm going back and being like, all right, which ones didn't I get? (laughs) And Daryl, you also hit the nail on the head. The distribution problems they had, but those started in what, 2008 with the vintage collection and the Clone Wars figures? Yes. I started this show because I loved doing toy runs. I loved going to stores. I loved finding the figures. I didn't want them delivered to my door, especially because they had really wonky case packs. But they've gotten a little bit more even with their case packs. And because I just can't rely on stores and that distribution anymore, the times I do toy runs are for the exclusives. I don't, I use dorkside toys to get my figures by the case and also troop build by the case since they are doing cases of the troops like that. So I hope that. They can bring it back to the point where I am doing daily toy runs for non-exclusive figures. I hope that we get some super articulated figures in the main line once again. But you just have to be respectful about it. Between the collectors who are having online tantrums about not getting the figures they want... And then the EU fans who are having online movements and attacking Pablo Hidalgo and things because of the stories being called legends, no longer having new stuff written. It's like, you know, again, hobby should bring fun, should bring enjoyment, should not make you so mad. Star Wars is big enough that there is something out there that you can enjoy. You don't have to be involved in every aspect and and find what you like. Can't say it any better than that, Daryl. And speaking of collector complaints, there is a little bit of truth to the people who, like me, are big fans of FX collectibles, (laughs) but wonder, when will it ever come out? I was standing in FX Collectibles booth at San Diego Comic-Con, and I'm looking at the Macquarie Stormtrooper helmet that was up on display there, and it was really good looking. I think it was really early because there were some paint things with it that weren't right. And you know what I heard? I heard Obi-Wan in my ear saying, he will learn patience, (laughs) because it may be five years before that goes for sale. That was a, a very nice piece to look at. Uh, like you said, I noticed some of the, the paint applications, but talk to you and, you know, we're talking about it being a prototype that, you know, they're not quite as as thorough on that sometimes, but it, it was pretty sweet. And there was an interesting story that you found out from, from uh, Brian uh, about that helmet. Oh, yeah. This was solicited for the first time a long time ago, and they worked with Ralph McQuarrie on it. 
And people who are fans of Macquarie's art may know that he had two different Vader helmets and two different Stormtrooper helmets. And when they were making this, they went to Ralph and said, which of the Macquarie Stormtrooper helmets should we do? And he picked this design. And then they realized he'd only drawn it in like a three-quarter profile. There were not 3D models. There were not props made. There were not drawings from multiple angles. So the guys at FX worked with Ralph McQuarrie. They designed the back of the helmet and filled it in and sent it to Ralph. And he signed off on it and said, yes, that is what the back should look like. And so they were moving forward with that when, sadly, Ralph McQuarrie passed away. And they kind of stepped back from that helmet because they didn't want to be seen as capitalizing or, you know, since he was being very revered and talked about at that time, they didn't want to profiteer off the man's death. I These people at FX, Brian and Gino and the rest, have such respect for the prop makers and they have such close working relationships. They certainly wouldn't want to do anything to blemish the memory of Ralph. So they waited for quite a while, but now they're back in production. But this entire design is signed off on by him. And so that's really cool. I mean, if you recall, he even did the signature edition for their Vader Macquarie helmet. But they did have a lot of stuff on display there. I mean, that we've seen multiple times. And I think it will mostly get solicited sometime. I think they hear a lot of the feedback at the conventions and choose what to prioritize based on that. And keep in mind, these guys are perfectionists. They're not going to release something that's just okay. Every single thing they've released has been, oh my God, I must have that. It's not, you know, sloppy paint. It's not quite right. They take their time and curate an actual really amazing piece for you to purchase. I did have fun just hanging out in their booth but yeah, the Macquarie helmet was the one thing, the Stormtrooper helmet that just caught my eye. And man, I know it's going to be expensive because they're, they do that with their legendary scale prop replicas, but that one is probably one that is worth saving up for, especially since I do have that Vader. I think the Stormtrooper will be a nice companion piece. And FX Collectibles booth wasn't too far away from Funko's where they did have a couple of Star Wars exclusives. They did. They had some exclusive pops. Now, once again, they did the lottery where you had to enter to win a wristband to win an assigned time to go to the booth and buy your products. I did not win this time. I could also get nowhere near their booth. It was a madhouse with people lining up when they didn't have wristbands or tickets to get in people angry that they didn't have wristbands or tickets to get in. So I kind of stayed away from that a little bit. Yeah, I didn't win the lottery either. So I got no uh, Funkos from that booth at all. But it was kind of odd how Funko kind of split up their exclusives uh, kind of a, a couple different places too. Yeah, I stumbled across the FYE booth, which was selling the, I don't know, Bistan, Bistan. I'd say Bistan. He's Rogue One. So we were able to get that. That was awesome, too. And I didn't even have to wait in line. I literally just walked out of the booth and grabbed it and paid for it and walked away. Now, a lot of the pops from this con were put up online, but I did not see the Qui-Gon Jinn anywhere. So hi-ho, hi-ho, off to eBay I go. But that's still better than spending days at the convention 
in line or I'm glad they do the lotto system now. Honestly, it does make it easier. However, people who had the last of the two times, there were three times you could go by if you had a ticket and it was assigned to you. So people who got the 430 time were really unhappy because a lot of things weren't left by the time their lineup was because Funko allots a certain amount each day. There's not an equal amount for everybody in line. So once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah, but versus the bruises that we've gotten in the past and versus the just time wasting of hoping you're in line and standby lines and all that. If you know you're getting it and it's a set time, I know it doesn't stop people from trying to cut in, but it's got to just lessen frustration, even if it's disappointing when neither of us won the lottery and we're like, okay, well, now we have to look online or go to eBay, but... But it is better than spending sometimes five or six hours in line. Absolutely. But of all the booths at the convention that I was looking at new toys from, best in show, as in best display, best reveals, everything, I got to give that to Kotobukiya. I mean, they sat out Force Friday this year, and that was really... I. There was so much news on Force Friday... I didn't notice they didn't announce anything, but that's smart of them because they would have just been more noise on a very busy day. They saved their reveals for their Rogue One merchandise and everything for this New York Comic Con, and it was really astonishing. They had a whole bunch of Rogue One stuff. They took some of their artifacts plus stormtroopers and made them shore troopers, kind of going through resin that looked like water for their big display. Although it was, you know, medium to large aquarium size. Yeah, it wasn't that 200 or whatever Stormtrooper display they had at at Celebration last year, but it was still a nice setup. And God, their upcoming Flame Trooper Artifacts Plus figure has to have the largest accessory I've ever seen on a figure of that scale. It's so large it even has its own stand to help hold it up. Well, Dan gave us a tour of all the new stuff on display, and here is that booth tour. We're here at New York Comic Con, the Kotobukiya booth with Dan Luan. Hello again. Hey, Arnie. Nice to see you again. And how excited are you for Rogue One now? Real excited. And actually, this is the first time we've been able to show our statues. Uh, We didn't show anything for Force Friday. We held everything for this show. And you have quite a bit to show. I wasn't sure what you'd have because there was no announcement on Force Friday. You didn't flood the Facebook page and everything. And so I didn't know what to expect. But you have some really nice things out here. And not just for Rogue One. We've also got some new stuff for The Force Awakens, too. I saw that. And I want to start with that. You've got the First Order Snow Trooper and the First Order Flame Trooper 2-pack. Yes. There is a massive flame coming out of that flame trooper. Is that an accessory that's actually going to be with it? Yes, that's our plan. I can't wait to see it fully painted and maybe like a translucent red with some uh, shadowing effects. That's going to be really awesome. Do you know how the display base is going to work? Is it going to be clear? That I don't know. I think it's a little early yet. Um, And this is the first time I've actually seen this. So uh, I'm sure in the coming months we'll have some updates for that. But uh, yeah. Yeah, and you guys have really been knocking it out with the troops. You know, the displays you do at Celebration at San Diego with all the stormtroopers are really just the tip of the iceberg. And now with the new movies and all the new troops, especially Rogue One is just hammering all kinds of new troops. I think the most since like Episode 3 with all the different clones. So how fun is that of an opportunity to have all these new designs and everything? It's a great opportunity, and it allows us to do single packs and two packs. 
and uh, just different color variations also. So we've got uh, a Shore Trooper 2-pack coming up. We've got a Death Star uh, Trooper 2-pack coming up. And, you know, so, so there's a lot of options moving ahead. And then also we have here a prototype of the Scarif Stormtrooper. Is that what I'm seeing there? Yeah, the, the Scarif Stormtrooper, Shore Trooper. I think there's different names going around. So that's going to be a two-pack, and you'll get different pieces to do a variety of poses, just like our regular Stormtrooper uh, two-packs. And then you've got a Death Trooper two-pack shown here? Yes, that'll be a two-pack. We've just got one shown here, but uh, a two-pack for that is planned in the same thing, uh, different pieces to do a variety of poses. And then you're doing an Artifacts. So this is all the Artifacts Plus line, but you're doing an Artifacts Death Trooper? We are doing an Artifacts uh, Death Trooper, and we're planning on adding uh, LED lights uh, in the mask area. So there'll be some green uh, effects coming out there, and there'll also be uh, additional pieces that you can switch out with the hand. And then I never thought any droid would compete with R2-D2. Then came BB-8, and so I thought we were done, but K-2SO has quite a following now, and you've got one out here on display. Yes, uh, K-2SO uh, is going to be our, uh, I guess, first character from uh, Rogue One. I'm not sure what we've got planned after him, but uh, yeah, it's looking really, uh, really nice there. And what we're seeing here is, is there's an unpainted prototype? Yes, these are actually all unpainted prototypes that you're looking at. Very cool. And then I, we knew about the Barnes & Noble exclusive R2-Q2, but is this the reveal of the R3PO? I didn't know about that anyway. Uh, I, think, I think both of them were revealed at the uh, Star Wars Collectors panel in San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, these are actually production pieces, so you can look forward to those arriving in store around probably late November, early December, and usually Barnes & Noble will also put them online, so if you can't make it to one of their stores, I would start checking their website around the end of November uh, to see when those go up for sale. Yeah, kind of nice. Go I love the red paint on there. I'm glad that's a production piece, but just it's not too glossy, but it's also not too dull of a paint and everything. Yeah, and we've got a lot of nice weathering effects just to highlight all that detail in his, uh, in his uh, body plates and, and arm plates and leg plates. Good companion for the K-3PO you did over yeah. there. Yeah. All right. Anything else you've got to tease us with about your upcoming Star Wars products? Uh, well, we, we're going to be doing, and I think I, I mentioned this during our Star Wars uh, collector's panel uh, at San Diego, we're going to be doing a Ray and Finn 2-pack. And uh, a, a couple of years ago, I think I also made mention of an Obi-Wan Kenobi Artifacts Plus. So we're actually going to have our panel tomorrow. We're going to have our, our own dedicated Kotobukiya panel. So I'll be showing some renders of those two particular uh, statue, uh, two, uh, well, the two-pack and the single-pack. Plus, we've got some other stuff I'm going to hold off on announcing right now, but some more uh, stuff coming up for The Force Awakens. All right. And, of course, Episode 8 and beyond, right? Can't say anything about that right now, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Dan, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Arnie. Thank you to Dan. Now, we did do that tour before their panel. Kotobukiya had their own panel where they talked about their DC stuff, their Marvel stuff, licenses I've never heard of stuff. A lot of anime. Their horror, bishoujo statues. I mean, everything. <laughs> But they did talk about Star Wars, and there was a couple of pretty big reveals there. First of all, they were asked about the Star Wars Bishojo line, and longtime listeners, 
I just hope you listened to me when I said go buy the Mara Jade and the Jaina Solo Bishoujos because Legends was getting rebooted. Well, those things really have gone up in price on the secondary market. Also because Lucasfilm told them no more Bishoujos. And a fan asked during the Q&A, hey, what about a Rey Bishoujo? You know, good line, Rey's a pretty woman make her in that line and kotobukiya says they're trying to get lucasfilm convinced and fans need to let lucasfilm know if that's a line they want to see but they did announce some really cool stuff from the force awakens they've got three new sets of artifacts plus statues the han and chewbacca two-pack from the force awakens they did the a new hope set but now you can get them older <laughs> Sorry, that just made me laugh. And then a Poe and BB-8 two-pack. I'm curious how that BB-8 will differ from the one that's in the droid three-pack, but that'll be coming out. And then FN-2199, the Riot Trooper, is coming out. Yeah, they got big applause for that one when it was announced. Yeah, everybody loves FN-2199. <laughs> I think he has one line. Traitor! <laughs> but it's a he fights well with that little thing that he on his arm that can resist lightsabers. I guess it's old Magna Guard technology. But what got me excited is they are the first company that I know of to announce their Star Wars Celebration 2017 exclusives. And there's going to be quite a few of them, too. Yeah, you got to make sure your wallet's ready for these. There are going to be four Artifacts Plus droids coming out. There's R4M9, R5D4, R2X2, and then a two-pack of BT1 and Triple Zero. And with that two-pack, they said they teased us. Adi Granov, the artist who works a lot for Marvel and has done some amazing Star Wars cover variants. He is a brilliant artist, yes. He is doing something that will be a bonus with that two-pack. And I did stop by his booth, and I kind of asked him about it, and he just smiled and went, yep, I'm doing something. <laughs> so those are going to be, I think, really cool celebration exclusives. I'm going to have to already bring a box to Orlando to ship home all these Artifacts Pluses. So I went by the Sphero booth they had a huge booth like tall wide it was like probably six or eight booths space on the floor huge i saw it from like the lookout in the press room it yeah it looked sizable but i w never got near it well and they had big tables with sides set up so that they had the bbh rolling through now they weren't letting anyone else do it they were demonstrating and they were demonstrating the iphone app as well as that new wrist controller the wrist controller is really their new thing they're pushing for the holidays. Obviously, they're Sphero. They really make one toy. It's mm -hmm. a little ball. You have an app. You control it. So yeah. this year, they've come out with that wristband. We've talked about it on the show. I just kind of look at it on the store shelves, and I'm like, I think we had our fun with the Sphero BB-8 to begin with. I'm not sure how much more fun an $80 wristband can add. So I was really, really hanging on your every word since you saw this in action, I mean, the BB-8's really cool. Well, I'm going to have to say that the wristband is not ready for prime time. What? Yeah, I saw, I sat and watched the guy for a while and I taped a little bit of it. When he moves it and moves his hand, 
BBA didn't always respond. And a lot of times he's doing these big exaggerated motions to make BB-8 move. And he'd wave BB-8 back and BB-8 would just stare at him. It was like training a dog. <laughs> it, it just wasn't working. Sounds like something I would throw across the wall and, and crush it in, in yeah. anger. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it felt like because it just didn't do what he wanted it to do. You know what it's reminding me of? Anyone remember the Nintendo Power Glove? Yeah. <laughs> It's like, it sounds like such a great idea that you could use your hand and actually punch to fight in Mike Tyson's punch out and things. And then you actually buy the glove and you realize, my God, this sucks. Yes. Yeah, I wasn't too impressed with it. And I'm going to have to say, if you find one on clearance for a deep discount and you really want to test your patience a few times, that might be the option or maybe it's going to get better. I don't know. Well, it's out now. I guess they could always do a firmware update, but you have not inspired me to rush out and get it immediately. Yeah, I just don't. If it was really cool, I probably would have been at Target buying one already when we got home. Daryl, did you see this in action at all? Uh, no, I went by the booth a couple times, but it seemed like they were just using their regular app to do it. Uh, I still have not bought the Spiro myself. I played the long game on it, kind of figuring that it would kind of be a... A short term, you know, high, and then people would want to get rid of them. So if anybody's got one out there for like 40 bucks or something, I'll, I'll take it off your hands. <laughs> I'm sure there are some people who are willing to part with their used ones. I don't know how much you'd be able to find a new one, but yeah. Quick look on eBay. See, it has some used ones that start at $40 to bid or buy it now is of like 60 Hey, I might be in then. So, but they, in all honesty, they look uh, about as much fun as some of the air hog stuff. Uh, Marjorie, did you hit that booth? I did. Again, huge, impressive booth. They had this walled off area with like mesh that you could go in and fly some air hogs, except all the times I went by, they didn't have anyone else flying them. They were only flying them and they were only doing the very boring. I'm going up and now I'm going down. I'm going up. And now I'm going down. So they weren't really like taking it out. And I'm guessing it's because of the crowds. But it was, I guess it's unimpressive when you're just going up and down and it's not going to make me buy it. That's funny because last year I was alone at New York Comic Con because we talked about on the show, my grandmother's 95th birthday. Marjorie, you did the dutiful thing and stayed home to organize a party while I only did two days of Comic-Con. So I'm there all by myself doing all the photography, video, interviewing. It was crazy. And I walk past the Airhogs booth and they're flying them. And I decide to take some video and they're like, hey, you want to fly it? And they just like shove a controller in my hand and I'm like flying it around. It was kind of fun. I'm not going to lie. That is not my experience. <laughs> Maybe somebody last year hit someone in the head and... I'm wondering because they had a very small area in which to fly it in general anyway, the mesh. So it's not like they could get it up to speed and do any turns or anything like that. They had a nice big carpeted area in front of that, but really not a good display. I wonder too, uh, we talked about going to all these other cons and stuff. You see a lot of these drones and stuff being flown around. I wonder if maybe New York City or something has... has created a, a ban on these, uh, not necessarily a ban, but restrictions at a con because, you know, height wise and stuff, people charge more for boosts and everything like that. Maybe it's, maybe it's something that we don't even know about where they're not allowed to fly it more than that little area. 
That's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, we went to B&H Camera, which is just a few blocks east of Javits, and they sell drones, and they had them in this big mesh cage, and that's the only place where the drones were flying. So it's very likely it could be some sort of ordinance. I am interested. I haven't bought a single air hog, but if I were to buy one, that Millennium Falcon drone-like one is pretty cool. And then Marjorie told me the price. Yes. I saw them today at Toys R Us and they are $299.99. That's a little bit higher than I wanted to spend. You can get that or the new Ad Act from Hasbro. I think I'm just going to wait until after Christmas or near Christmas and see how cheap they go. Maybe they'll be like the Black Series TIE Fighter and I can get them like 50-80% off. Speaking of more expensive collectibles... Sideshow was back at New York Comic Con. I'm glad to see them there. They have kind of a mini booth that's literally one quarter the size of their San Diego booth. But again, because we're near Rogue One, uh, most of the space they had was devoted to Star Wars. Poor DC only got one table. They had premium formats out of Rogue One characters, a whole bunch of new hot toys, and Marjorie and I recorded right from that booth. Well, we're here at New York Comic Con at the Sideshow booth, and this is like a first appearance for them, isn't it, Arnie? They've been here before, but not for a long time, as I recall. I think they actually had like a small booth last year that was unannounced and just kind of popped up that I took a few photos at. And they've got a booth that's kind of the size of San Diego, a lot smaller... But it's similar in size as far as height. Yeah, it's as tall, but it's perhaps one quarter to one sixth the size of their San Diego Comic-Con booth. And there's nowhere near on display. I don't see any DC product, at least on this side. I don't see too much of their Court of the Dead, which they're trying a Kickstarter for. Okay, I give you enough of my money, but... They do have a lot of Star Wars and a little Marvel. Of course, Star Wars is the license to hit right now. Oh, they do have uh, Bane right behind you. There is a little DC. but We're not going to talk about Bane. Really, I'm looking at this six-scale Han and Carbonite. They already released one before. This is the Empire one. I love that base. I absolutely adore that base. The figure itself... Every time I see a six-scale Han and Carbonite, it reminds me how well Hasbro did, like, in the 90s. Because I'm always like, yeah, that looks just like the Hasbro one. I'm sure you'll be adding it to your collection, right? Oh, absolutely, yes. And maybe some of the others, the new Boba Fett six-scale at 199 Maybe, we'll see. Uh, definitely the Han and Carbonite. But really, the big stuff here is from The Force Awakens and... Rogue One. From The Force Awakens, we got to see Rey and BB-8 premium format figures, and much to my happiness, they're sold separately, it appears. There's different name tags. I don't want to necessarily spend so much money for Rey and BB-8. They did that with the Hot Toys. I love the Hot Toys BB-8. I don't really want the Rey. I like Rey as a character, just don't need to collect her so much, and the Hasbro ones are enough. But here, they're listed separately, so I can just get a premium format BB-8, and I very well might. I think that sounds like a much better option than buying a statue that you're lukewarm on to get the one piece that you want. Ha! Lukewarm. I did make a joke there. There's also the Kylo Ren, and 
I've already said, with episode seven, I'm kind of not doing so much high scale end, the new movies, the not Lucas era of movies. I'm not gonna buy high end on, but that Kylo Ren, I love the detail on it and the lightsaber is sick. That is nice, yeah, then the lightsaber, they have like wrapped like stuff around it. So when you light it up, it's gonna look all jaggedy like it did in the movie. And they also have some Rogue One premium format. They have a Jin Urso premium format with the most millennial, are you done scanning me yet, pursed lips I have ever seen. She literally can't. Really? She, she looks like, all right, it's late Friday at New York Comic Con. She looks how I feel, just like, really? <laughs> well, they've also got a Death Trooper, which he has no, oh boy, there's the face. You know how I just said I had this rule where, like, with the new movies, I'm not going to buy high-end stuff, maybe a few hot toys? That Death Trooper, I'm seeing the movie. I will not be pre-ordering. I'm going to see the movie, but if they're as cool as they look, I may... Rules are made to be broken, right? Sure, they are, yes. Go ahead. And it won't be just the straw that breaks the camel's back and opens the floodgates and everything, I'm sure. No, I can have just one. Listeners know I can have just one. So in addition to the premium format Death Trooper, we get to see a Hot Toys Death Trooper. You know, South Park, when I hear Death Trooper, and this happened with the book too, you know, crab people, crab people, taste like crab, talk like people. I get that in my head with Death Trooper. A very obscure South Park reference. Death Trooper, Death Trooper, smell like death, talk like trooper. I don't know. But, yeah, that is a nice-looking figure, and I got to see the movie, but it's looking really good. The Hot Toys are always looking good. But what I'm actually more excited for is the Luke and Ray from the very last scene of The Force Awakens over there. She's got her hand extended as posed here with his saber or her saber, or maybe they're going to go to small claims court over who gets the saber. Ooh, Judge Judy? Maybe, you know, the Solomon of the Star Wars universe will say, cut the saber in half. I don't know. But, and then the end of The Force Awakens, Luke Skywalker with the robotic hand, the one that I keep seeing on Facebook, why can Hot Toys make such a great one and Hasbro can't make one at all? Well, they're different scales and level of price, but okay. But it is really looking nice. For people who want that Luke Skywalker as he is in this new saga, you can't not buy it, can you? Finally, there's a life-size Darth Vader here. It's almost a full bust instead of the statue. I think that was on display at San Diego as well, though. It could have been. Honestly, a lot of that stuff gets lost in San Diego. I'm glad they have a smaller booth here. You can enter to win it. I never win. Sideshow, I I never win. I think there's some great detail to that bust, and I'm not going to buy it, though. I. My problem is the little weird half cape. It's like a capelet. Reminds me of the chair capes from Entertainment Earth. Put on one of your busts. <laughs> well, you could instantly then make a bust of Darth Vader. Just grab a chair cape and a Darth Vader figure case. But like you said, it's a smaller booth. That's what they have on display for Star Wars. And yeah, I could, uh, that Death Trooper premium format. You know, if he was pointing his gun straight ahead, they'd have my money right now. He kind of got a droopy gun. We'll see the movie. 
Now, to follow up, we talked about the bases on the Hot Toys. I did contact Andrew, and he agreed they didn't look very good, but those are inserts on the bases that you can choose to display or you can remove and you just have your standard Hot Toys base. So it is not so bad as if the base just comes that way and you must display it with the glossy art of the character. Also, the uh, new trailer, Andrew Facebooked, that he's finally excited for this movie, and he hadn't been before, but this new trailer really jazzed him. And I pointed out, I'm like, well, I'm glad you're finally excited for this movie that you've already spent, what, a thousand or more dollars on? (laughs) Poor Andrew. I then added, though, I've done the same thing with some hot toys for I'm all in on the Marvel hot toys. And there have been a couple movies I haven't been so excited for, but all in is all in. And but but misery likes to poke fun at company is what I told him. (laughs) No matter what, the figures will still look cool. The hot toys still look cool. And uh, so did those really, really expensive tantrum cases that you talked to. Oh, that was something. Let's just, I think the best way to introduce this to our audience, if you haven't seen the video on our YouTube channel yet, let's just go to the interview. We are here at Tantrum with Maura to discuss your new iPhone cases. Hi, thanks so much for having us. So talk to us about these cases. They look really cool. They also have a lot more Phillips head screws than I'm used to seeing on a phone case. That is accurate. So our design is a patented exoskeleton design. It is made from aircraft-grade aluminum. Each one starts as a single billet. Like this, it takes four hours on a CNC machine, and we mill them in our facility in Texas. And they have a patented design that has multiple layers. So what we do is we have a front frame, a back frame, and then an interior silicone bumper, which protects from shock. These are freestanding, so you can stand them on their, on their sides to watch videos or anything else like that. This is a hefty piece it of is. metal. It is, and the honest truth is once we mill them down, these fully assembled get down to about six ounces. So coming from here to here, it's a pretty big difference. So talk to me about the protection of the phone, because this is adding a lot of you know width and six ounces you know apple's removing headphone jacks to remove a quarter of an ounce absolutely and we definitely buck tradition on that i mean for us this is this is not for the faint of heart this is a very strong case it has been indeed run over by a military hummer it is extremely protective for any twist any torque it's going to give you a really good protection from shock and in any other damage you can do it's compatible with a wider range of screen protection, so I would recommend a tempered glass insert, although it is protected from any abrasions and small dust with a little bit of a recess here. And the phone survived after getting run over by a Hummer? It did. So it actually, I was not party to this, but it did happen. Um, They had it, they basically put the video on, showed the Hummer, showed the guy driving it, put it down, ran it over with the video playing, picked it right back up. So... It, it does the job. You can certainly, our tagline is go ahead and throw one, and we honestly invite you to do so. They're going to keep your phone safe. That's what I was about to ask is, yeah. you know, pressure is one thing, but it handles drops well? It does, absolutely. So that's the shock absorption. So not only does the frame protect that, but the, the inside TPU liner is going to absorb that shock. Now, you have Star Wars designs out, and that's very cool. That's what our show focuses on. Do you do other licenses or just Star Wars? We currently are focusing on Star Wars. That's really our favorite, and we want to do it right. So we wanted to start with one of the most iconic lines 
and the most iconic logos. So really, Stormtrooper Classic, we have Mandalorian, we have Rebel, we have the Millennium Falcon, which is a laser engraved process. So that gives us really amazing fine detail. Um, so we're going to see how this goes. And who knows? Keep tuned. We might have some new licenses in the future. And the Mandalorian symbol is exclusive to this show? It is. So the Mandalorian with the red standoffs, which you can see in the front, is an exclusive for Comic-Con. And we did a very, very small run of that. Now, how much do these cost? So our normal MSRP is $229. Our show discount is a $199. And we're doing selling currently the iPhone 6 success. Okay, you don't have any for the 7 or any of the pluses? No, but we actually have our concepts approved. So everything we do is fully licensed from Lucasfilm. So we work very closely with them to ensure that we adhere to their very high brand standards. And those are actually in the pipeline. So the 7 was a very small engineering change. We've already made that. We just are, we need to get it on shelf. And the 7 Plus, we've had so many people. I'm sorry, guys, we'll get it there, I promise. <laughs> so many people ask for it. So we are working on that as our next priority. What about Samsung phones? We are also doing a list. We'll see. We, this is our first run, so we really had to pick the one that has the most market share, and we'll just kind of see how it goes. So we're asking our customers, we listen to you. Tell us what you want, and we'll try to deliver it for you if there is a demand. And are you selling these here at the show, or are you taking orders? We're selling at the show. Yep, we have stock. We have very limited stock here at the show. And do you have new designs in the pipeline for Star Wars? We do. We have a Death Star that is pretty amazing. I cannot wait. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. These things were huge. I mean, I did talk to a friend of ours, Joe, and he said, if you can really run over it with a car, if you can chuck it across the room, how much do you pay for Apple Care? How much do you pay your phone company for insurance on your phone? If you're spending $200, but it is making your phone unbreakable, and you buy, say, a $1,000, 128 gigabyte phone, he thought that made a modicum of sense, much like buying the extended warranty from Best Buy. My counter to that is this thing weighs like a pound and a half, and... <laughs> it's not going to fit in anybody's pants pocket. <laughs> If it does, you can't sit down. No. People who put it in their back pocket, good luck. The other side of that is it can't guarantee you're not going to break the phone. Like, Marjorie, and I, you and I were talking about the throw it across the room thing. Mm -hmm. That works great unless your screen lands on like the corner of a table and then it doesn't matter what case it's in. Nope. It's going to go down. So, Yeah. Let us know. I mean, here's the thing I find great is a lot of collectors like myself, if you could get your hands on this, you might just keep it as a collectible. They looked gorgeous. The machined metal, the designs, I actually thought they looked really cool. And then I touched it. My only complaint is the edges look like a bicycle chain. Now, I remember, Arnie, about a year and a half ago on Marvelicious, you actually bought like an Iron Man case that was huge and and. and totally encapsulated your phone there. And I, as I remember, you didn't use it too long because it made it so bulky. That's right. And I don't think I ever should have used it. It was more collectible than useful. And it was an expensive phone case too. It had electronics in it though, but it wasn't going to protect my phone from anything. But yeah, it be I called it the lobster claw because it was supposed to be like Iron Man armor, but it ended up just segmented like a lobster tail. And yeah, it just became unwieldy on, I think that was my iPhone 5. It just could not 
be useful. So I did get rid of that and get something far more slimline but protective. I mean, Daryl, would you have this in your pants? Uh, no, they do look really cool, but because I, I dress up for work and stuff, it's easier for me to keep mine in my front shirt pocket. And that would just be, you know, my shirt would just sag so deep and so heavy and be pulling the buttons off my neck or something, probably from the weight of it. And you'd look like you have some sort of giant pacemaker. <laughs> you would, you would. So, yeah, I think these things have their place. You know, if you are... And I'm, I'm not even being facetious. If you're in a war zone and you need protection for your phone, this is probably a decent option. I mean, I used to work in computer sales and we dealt with military and there were laptop cases that would survive being run over by a tank, but they were also dust proof, shock proof, everything. This isn't going to protect you from dust if you're out in the desert, but... If you're in a construction, if you're a construction worker, this may make a lot of sense for you. But for an everyday average person, maybe ladies more than men because you can put it in a purse. It's too big for a purse even. And it's heavy. You don't want that to weigh you down. And speaking of really expensive collectibles that you may or may not use, cross pens caught Marjorie's eye. They did. And I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to go back to their website and perhaps buy some more pens. They recently launched a line of Marvel and Star Wars pens. And, well, they're luxurious. If you have to do a lot of writing, they do write so very smooth. And it writes like a gel, but it doesn't smear. Like, as I was writing, Arnie was trying to smear it, like, following along after I was writing. Didn't smear at all. But, dear God. Oh, they're so gorgeous. They had an R2-D2 one that was just stunning, but it is entirely too expensive. Yeah, they have a number of different pens and different price points. They're And I'll start off by saying these are not disposable pens. These are pens that you can get refills for, so when they run out of ink, you can add more. They're rollerball pens, but they do write really well. They're entry-level pen. They have... Like a C-3PO design, a Darth Vader design, Stormtrooper, BB-8, R2-D2. So those are the $45 pens. Now, if you want to get a little bit nicer, and they certainly do look nicer, then they have some special edition pens. They have a Darth Vader, and this one comes in a nice box. It just looks a lot nicer than the $45 one, but it's $90, But of course, the ones that caught my eye and I'm like, wow, those are really nice. I must have them. (laughs) They had an art on display, an R2-D2 and a really gorgeous BB-8 pen. The BB-8, it's a white pen. BB-8 is drawn on it in gray, but then it's got like gold on the tips. And I believe it is actual gold, like gold plated. And the R2-D2 one is rhodium plated. I thought they said that they were carved also the bb8 one they talked about and here's what their website says taking inspiration from bb8 it is finished in polished white lacquer with character themed engravings and a brilliant faceted hyacinth swavarsky crystal embedded in the cap it is presented in a luxury gift box 
with an included Star Wars themed pen stand. Only 1977 of each of these pens were produced. There's a booklet that tells the story of the iconic character. There's a lifetime mechanical guarantee. The C-3PO is gold-plated with 23 karat gold. It's a 23 karat gold-plated finish accented with 23 karat gold appointments. But these pens are not for the faint of heart. They they feel really good in my hand. They do, and they write beautifully. They have great heft. $450. Well, I noticed that they've got a Stormtrooper one that they didn't have out, and he's $575. I'm only seeing a $450 Stormtrooper. That's the fountain pen, though. Ah. Not the ballpoint. Yes, yeah, so the fountain pens add an extra $125 to the cost. And you get to select your nib size. What I don't know what a nib size is. Daryl, did you get a chance to see these? I did not. I believe I actually saw them over at Celebration Europe. I'm not a fancy pen person, so I did not really look at their booth over there nor here. Uh, I believe the nib size refers to the size of the, I guess you'd call it the stylus or how, how much ink flows out at one time, kind of your your point resolution on a computer or whatever. So I think that's what it refers to, Arnie. But no, I did not go to cross um, and I will not be shopping for cross pin at $450 to $575. I grew up in a house where like everyone had a cross pen set. Every one of my sisters and myself got a cross pen set when we graduate pen and pencil set when we graduated high school. And so I think we got like the $45 versions, <laughs> though. We did not get the $450 versions. I know it just said 14 k on the base and it rusted after a few years. And <laughs> But I'm... I love these pens, and I the more expensive they are, the more I love them, and that's just cruel, because I didn't know what they cost when I saw them. But the truth of it is, I'm not a pen guy. I don't write very much. I can't recall the last time I wrote a check. I sign cards. I don't need a $450 pen to write, you know, I love you, Marjorie, signed Arnie. Aww. I don't really write anything either, but I had to have the Captain America pen. What really excited me on their site is they also have a stylus. They have a, but it's only in the Darth Vader Tech 3 collection and it's $95. I could see myself going like $100 for a really nice stylus that I could use with my Microsoft Surface. But the stylus they have looks like it's actually meant to work on like a iPad because it's one of the fuzzy tipped ones. It's not the solid tip or the buttons for the surface that I use. So they're nice though. And Marjorie, you are placing an order? I probably am. Yes. Are you buying the $500 pen? I am not. The $100 pen? Probably not. I'm probably buying one of the $45 ones. If anyone's shopping for me for Christmas, I'm just going to throw out that R2-D2 $450 pen looks nice. (laughs) Also, speaking of unusual collectibles, Hallmark was there. They showed off some of their 2017 keepsake ornaments. They're sold out across the country Death Star tree topper. Yeah, they actually sold out of those with the wish lists. So... If you found one on the shelf, you were extraordinarily lucky. It means someone returned one or didn't pick it up. They said they brought 30 to the show and were sold out the first day. Daryl, you saw a Christmas candy jar you liked? 
Oh, yes. The Jabba the Hutt uh, candy jar. I'm not a big candy jar person, but I do love the Jabba the Hutt figure. And uh, it's kind of him on his dais with a little area in front to keep the candy in. They also had a Yoda one as well to put some uh, uh, candy canes in the back of it. Uh, I guess that's been on sale since last year. Um, but they were looking, they're like the white porcelain style look to them. Uh, they also did some like porcelain plates or something i think i saw in their ads or whatever of a stormtrooper and darth vader and uh, even the millennium falcon as well yeah it was pretty cool and new itty bitties coming out and you can check all the photos in our gallery at our website swactionnews.com but it was kind of fun to walk through there and see all the stuff because at comic-con their booth is always so crazy what's funny is i was talking to joe again and he came in on, I think, Friday and wanted the prototype Boba Fett ornament. And he thought he'd have to get in line real early Saturday morning. And one of his friends said, why don't you just go and get it? And he's like, what do you mean? And he was able to walk up at three o'clock in the afternoon and just buy it. It is a totally different experience at New York Comic Con with the shared exclusives. Yeah, I did the same thing on Sunday. Uh, one of the uh, one of our listeners uh, or asked if anybody was at New York Comic Con, Chickafant uh, from down in Florida. Oh, she's great. I, she's nice. Yeah. And uh, so she asked if anybody was there and could help her out. And same thing. It was like two, three o'clock on Sunday afternoon. I walked right up and, you know, there's one person in front of me in line. And I got both the uh, prototype FET uh, ornaments as well as the itty bitties at that time for her. So yeah, this was my first time really being able to see the new stuff that was probably on display in San Diego, and I just couldn't get near it. But to finish our New York Comic Con coverage, perhaps the highlight of my show was getting to sit down and talk with John Tyler Christopher. And if you don't know his name, you know his work. Starting with Star Wars number one, the new Marvel comic, he has been doing variant covers. He did that really awesome Jackson cover. You remember that one, Daryl, with like the original trilogy gang trying to push Jackson out the door? Yeah, he's kind of like trying to, hey, guys, let me in or whatever. Let uh -huh. me back in. Been around for a while. And I didn't know that was John Tyler Christopher. When they did the 100 variant covers for Star Wars number one, I picked up just a couple. But if one had Jackson on it, I, I had to have Jackson. And then they had the vintage action figure cover. And I thought that was really cool. And I didn't realize that it wouldn't be a one issue variant cover, but it would in fact become a lifestyle of me collecting action figure variant covers. And Daryl, you were with me at C2E2 when I was trying to hunt down a couple that I'd forgotten to pre-order. Yeah, I know that Han Solo was going for a lot uh, there for a while. And uh, a lot of his... Uh his covers have definitely, you know, piqued the interest of a lot of collectors, drawn a lot of actual uh, toy collectors into the comics just for those covers alone. Well, we talked to him a little bit on Thursday and Friday, and he was just a chatty guy, great guy. And he agreed to do an interview with me on Saturday afternoon, and we just went deep talking action figures and his covers. So here is that interview. So joining us now is... John Tyler Christopher, the artist of the much sought after Star Wars and Marvel action figure covers and other cool stuff, your negative covers and, you know, 
You did covers before action figures? I did. I know. I, it's kind of weird for me, it's, too. It's all kind of a blur at this point, man. <laughs> How many action figure covers have you done? Do you even know? Um, well, last year I did, I think, 112 covers. And I believe I'm on pace this year to do 126. Wow. Um, and most of those have been action figure covers. That's absolutely incredible. That's a huge pace. Don't most like cover artists do 40, 50 a year? I, I mean, I think so, like, that's roughly what I was doing before you know, I started doing these action figure things. So uh, it was, it's, it's been awesome. Like, it's been a good thing like, to pick up the pace like that. It started with Star Wars number one, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It started with uh, the Luke Skywalker. It's kind of actually a funny story. Um, so even though I was doing 30 or 40 covers you know, a year before... I was working like 100 to 120 hours a week, and it was uh, it was really like draining on both my family and my, my personal life, because um, I'm 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 not terribly good when it comes to like action poses and, and that kind of composition. So it, it was really like I was doing a quarter of the work, but taking twice as long to do that quarter, mm-hmm, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was funny is um, my wife and my mom actually had, like, an intervention with me. And they're like, you can't do any more work. Like, you need to stop doing work. Like, you got to be a, a better husband and a father. And I really took it to heart. And so I, I, I promised my wife, no more work. Like, I'm gonna t- whatever they ask me for next, I'm going to say no to. And uh, <laughs> lo and behold, I'm like, this is no lie. Two, like, two days later, uh, I get a call from, uh, from my, my buddy at Marvel, George Balliard. And he's like, all right, man. We've got this idea for some new covers. Um, just wanted to see if you're on board. And I'm like, I, I can't. I can't. I, I promised my wife I can't do it. He's like, dude, there's Star Wars action figure variants. And I was like, son of a... <laughs> so uh, basically, I literally did Luke, Han, Vader, and Leia after my wife went to sleep. <laughs> And basically did them like incognito, like a ninja. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, like the, people seem to really dig them, so uh, we started picking up the pace on, on being able to do them. And like I said, now I'm able to do a lot more. I'm able to work a fraction of the time so that I'm able to be a better husband, but also like you know, still be able to support the family and stuff like that. So it's been a blessing, man. I'm, I'm thankful to everyone who's buying these or gotten any of them. Like, thank you from the bottom of my heart. So. Realistically, I mean, you are drawing a little less with these, right? Because, like, with the Star Wars ones, they're all the vintage cards. So you have just the figure area and the art area next to it. And with the Marvel ones, you're doing a lot of the red and black cards now. So, like, the graphic design template is there, and you draw a smaller area. Yeah, I- exactly. And, I mean, also for me, I- I've always been fascinated by character. Um, my dream when I was a little kid is, like, number one dream, I want to draw comic books. Number two dream, I wanted to do the handbook to the Marvel Universe. It was like this, like, where it was literally just like the turnarounds of the characters. Mm -hmm. So these figures have kind of allowed me to do that. And that in and of itself is a huge time saver because, like, I can can draw just a character standing there, relatively simple. But I'm able to then put that extra time and effort into, like, I don't want every face to look the same. I don't want every body to look the same. Like, I don't want to templatize the actual character. But I can save time by templatizing the actual backboard or mm-hmm. the, the box, whatever, you know, uh, type of deal. 
so it, it's been really cool now I mean I'm trying to like actually if I ever get a break trying to actually go back in on the original art because I do pencil and ink everything on Bristol board mm -hmm. and it's all to scale and ready I just need to actually add the Star Wars logo and the little stars <laughs> and fill all that spot all that black for it so that I actually do have like an original piece of art when it's said and done that I could be able to sell but Man, I have, I don't know how much longer that's how long it's going to be till I can get to that. Yeah, because when you started, did you have any idea it was going to take off the way it did? No, no, not, none whatsoever. Um, you know, when, in fact, even to the point of like with the Han Solo, this is like one of like my big bad ideas I had. Like, and thank God the people at Marvel and Lucasfilm were like, "Yeah, no, don't do that, stupid." <laughs> um, I wanted to do. We, I just finished up the uh, Jackson cover for the the party bear. Right, I, that was great. By the way, I love bringing back Jackson oh. anytime you can. Man, if only there was a way I could do like a Jackson action figure, my <laughs> life would like full circle, complete of radness. But uh, no, so um, I was up. So I was kind of on this like, oh, maybe like the people are dig they were, people were digging on that Jackson cover. So I was like, well, maybe I should do like something more a little more humorous. And uh, so I'd originally had Han with like a terrified look on his face in the carbonite pose in the box as like, ha ha, he's actually like in packaging uh, for safe travel. And Lucas is like, no, no, just draw the stupid character. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And that, you know, and I think it would have killed the line had I done that. So, you know, like wow. I may, I make terrible decisions and I apologize for that. That's really funny. Cause when I was a kid, I used the bubbles to pretend there was carbonite and I'd like trap my characters in carbonite and just <laughs> yeah. keep the bubbles around. And when they were in the bubble, they were like frozen. Awesome. Well, yeah, no, like, I mean, that's the kind of stuff. Cause my, my goal with these figures is always like, I don't actually draw the action figure. I try and draw, draw what five-year-old John thought the action figure looked like, if that makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like there were little jokes, like, I was really concerned when I did Luke Skywalker, for example, that, and I was very adamant about Luke has like dirty brown hair, right? So the side art has the dirty brown brown hair, but the action figure had like neon yellow yes, glow yes. to it, and that was the one thing in my head as a kid. I always remember I was like, "This is weird. Luke Skywalker doesn't have neon yellow hair." So like, I'm able to almost like deliver punchlines to jokes that my five year old self thought were kind of silly or <laughs> weird or off. You know, it's a uh, it's been really tripped out. So if I ever like get to do a Gamorrean guard, for example, um, I buried my Gamorrean guard in the uh, Sarlacc pit of my sandbox as a kid. Mm -hmm. And like when I dug him out the next summer after, he was there all winter. He was covered in like raccoon poop and squirrel <laughs> poop. So uh, if you see little brown spots on the Gamorrean guard, it's uh, it's my pretend fecal matter of <laughs> raccoon poop. And your attention to detail with the action figures is amazing. Like your Obi-Wan, you had the little extending tip that I and so many other kids took little nail clippers to because we thought it was excess plastic. Yeah, no, I mean, but again, like, that's that's the charm of it. Like, um, I'm a big fan. I believe mistakes or what's not right is the charm of most things. Like, I love the little piece of plastic, the, the, the blonde hair on Luke, the... Um, the fact that Obi-Wan, you know, the vinyl cape, like the cheesiness of, like, it's not right, but I think that's why that series is so beloved, because it's those, that, the entire line of Star Wars toys effectively allowed every single one of us as children of our generation to be directors of the next Star Wars movies. Like, 
I would have loved to have had a camera in like J.J. Abrams' like kitchen as a kid growing up because I have a feeling that most of the Force Awakens was made then and there as like a fan film when he was just like, and then the Falcon goes, and then like they shoot from the bottom because the gun's stuck. Like the imagination and like the love that we have for Star Wars, I think these these action figures played a large part in it because we were able to continue the story past what we saw on the screen. Yeah, you know, like. Boba Fett, dude, there's a guy that has two lines, three lines at most. Mm-hmm. He's on screen for six minutes, but I, how many of us played with Boba Fett and he was the guy that was kicking kicking the crap out of people and being mm-hmm. awesome and doing sweet like moves. and like I think Boba Fett's existence as, and popularity stems from us playing with that toy. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I found when Star Wars really made its comeback in the 90s, and I as an adult approached Star Wars and started collecting, yeah. I realized my vision of characters was the action figure. And so, like, I was a little bit confused by the color of Boba Fett's robe. And I'd, like, when having discussions with people, I'm thinking of the action figure. Right. And they're, you know, like, walrus man in the, like, orange oh, and everything. Yeah, like the Marty McFly get up yeah. and the, uh, the onesie for Hammerhead <laughs> man, like... Th- those are great, and like those idiosyncrasies. My, my mom was smart enough uh, and had the foresight to take all my Star Wars action figures and put them in the attic. So uh, when I landed this job, and after they forgave me for actually taking on more work, she actually pulled all of them out. So every time I do one of these figures, I'm literally pulling out that action figure and setting it on my drawing table. And like, I take a minute just to like think, like, what was it that you loved about this as a kid? Because mm-hmm. that's it's. Adult John is trying to draw five-year-old John's imagination again. Like so, I have them sitting there, and I, I look at them. And I'm like, man, this is so weird and so quirky. But now, as an adult, I'm able to like, I study what I missed as a kid, like uh, the Jawa, for example. Right? Mm-hmm. I had the cloth cape Jawa. Yeah. But the more research I've done, and, and as an adult now, enjoying the action figures, realizing that the vinyl cape is this like incredibly sought-after figure. So. I felt good being able to give the vinyl cape Jawa, even though it's a pretend action figure, to everyone that always wanted those or had once one now that isn't able to get it. Do you collect any toys currently? Oh, I collect a ton of toys. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's been crazy. Um, uh, I, well, one second here. Oh, I thought you were reaching for the Golden Girls. That is the hot exclusive of the con. Is it? I, I was literally given the option of pretty much anything here at the show as an exclusive that I wanted to get because I uh-huh. did, did some stuff. And I, I was like, oh, I need a Blanche Dubois action figure, man. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, I, I am collecting. Uh, I, I collect um, the Marvel Legends toys, um, not as a self-plug, but I actually am currently doing the side art and stuff like that for it. Um, I'm also collecting uh, the Black Series for Star Wars, man. I mean, holy nice. crap. Like... You know, these were about the imagination. Those ones, they just give it to you raw, man. Like, mm-hmm. they're beautiful. So I, I was able to score, like, I, I recently got a ray with a lightsaber, and it's just like, man, this is so rad. But it's, it's also fun because just like the Kylo Ren we did, I'm able to now do the vision that my kid, myself as a kid would have gotten uh-huh. that has those, like, little weird idiosyncrasies to it. Yeah, that's often fun when you do go a little bit outside the lines. We did the little episode one Anakin Jedi and some of the uh, now I still call it extended universe characters that you've done and to see them in the vintage packaging and everything. Yeah, well, what's really surreal about that is that like 
I mean, technically, they're not expanded or extended universe because with the Marvel books, that is canonical. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is part of Star Wars. I mean, it's not unheard of to see one of those characters actually appear in a film. And uh, with that being said, it's so surreal like to have to break them down and think of them in those terms. I mean, I love doing Anakin. I loved... It, I, I am looking forward to... I'm like, do this, do all 90... All the, what, 93, 96 original? 96, 96 original ones. Um, and then let's move to the prequels, and then let's do <laughs> Clone Wars. Like, I'm in it to win it on these, man. Like, I'm, I'm having the time of my life, so... I remember when they were coming out and there were talks like, oh, he's going to do just the first 12. And then it kept going and then Anakin came in and they're like, all right, are you going to do all 96? And Yeah, well, I mean, there was a point where I was I was approached and it was like, look, we can, are you, do you want to stop this? Like, I mean, if you want to like start doing other stuff, we can just end this now. And I was like, no, no, like, please, <laughs> please don't. Because... Um, I do. I, I truly love it. If, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would actually would not quit my job. This is uh, my only regret about these are it's going to have to stop at some point, And when it does, whatever I do after is not going to be half as much fun. And to jump over to the Marvel side. So yeah. I was collecting all your Star Wars covers and I was in on those. And then right before the first time I met you at C2E2, the new Secret Wars was happening. And I am a Secret Wars collector. Uh, as an adult, I've gone back. I even have, like, the Iceman and oh, all of those. Wow. I picked up like, carded. Those are, like, the European ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I picked. Man. I was picking up that line, and I was piecing it together over years. And then you come out with the Secret Wars carded figures. And I had heard you were doing Marvel carded figures. I'm like, well, I got the Star Wars ones, you know. That's, yeah. Then it was Secret Wars, and you had me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, those were, um, like, those are another part of, like, my childhood, right? Mm-hmm. And what made those ones so much fun to me was, you know, we talk about the mistakes, right? I love that they're that, like, beefcake, gigantic diesel-looking. <laughs> and, and for certain characters, it's like, yeah, whatever, that's cool. Because um, the, the, way, the way those worked were, I believe all the Secret War actual issues were the original line of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there was an equal amount of new ones we created for it that weren't in there for like the more the ancillary titles. Yeah, Deadpool, for example, yeah, well, and the Deadpool was the first one, uh-huh. uh, and they approached that because they thought that would be like really cool. And I, that was like they had me on that one. That was great, and it was you know being able to like draw not just like the one gun, but like all the guns <laughs> and all the like chimichangas and all that other fun stuff. Um, but then, yeah, as it started to evolve, it was like, okay, you know, Beefcake Spider Man, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Beefcake Doctor Octopus. <laughs> But then when they approach me about things like uh, Mr. Fantastic, it's like, well, I have to put myself again in that era. Like, with those toys, they would never make, like, stretchy material plastics, but they might have those, like, old, you know, gloop, 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 like little mm-hmm. bendy straw kind of things. And, uh, but he was still, like, it was Beefcake doing that. And yeah. it was, it's so surreal for me to work on those. It was weird to work on those because they were, my brain was constantly telling me it was wrong. But when they were done, what made them wrong is what kind of made them right, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, that's what got me with them is it wasn't just the card, but it was actually like the figures on the card. Thank you. And now you've kind of gone and you did a few X-Men ones after those 90s Toy Biz figures. I'm a child of the 90s, man. Like, I'm unapologetic that, like, the X-Men is my joint. I love the X-Men. And... 
the high point of me doing Marvel action figures would be Generation X. Like, holy crap, <laughs> I'm constantly, I'm fighting for Generation X to come back. I just want that to be known. <laughs> like, we need Chamber and Sink and Husk and M and all of them back. So, uh, but yeah, no, like, so the X-Men ones were great because as much as Star Wars is my childhood, the X-Men and stuff, like, that's my teenage years. That's high uh -huh. school. So, you know, I had to listen to a lot of, like, Mud Honey and Soundgarden while I was working on those to, like, get the right vibe. But uh, the side art was super fun for me because I had this, like, weird epiphany as I was, as I was growing up. And it was, uh, when I was when I was a teenager in high school, all I wanted to do was be Jim Lee. That's, that's it. I just, I just wanted to be Jim Lee. So what the side art there is, is that was me in high school wanting to be Jim Lee. But I had this weird moment where I realized, like, well, who does Jim Lee want to be? <laughs> and I was like, oh, he wants to be Art Adams. Like, I think it's pretty obvious. Well, then, who does Art Adams want to be? And that de-evolution of style and lineage is what drew me to start studying, like, Rembrandt and people like that to develop the style I currently have. So to go retroactively in my brain, to go back to the Jim Lee style, it's like I was a teenager again, just like I'm a kid with the Star Wars ones. And to go back to what you said, in addition to drawing toy packages for the comics, you actually draw toy packages for Hasbro for the Marvel Legends. Yeah, line. yeah. I was able to start on the line with um, Spider-Gwen mm -hmm. on it. And uh, I've done, I mean, I did that one. I did the subsequent Spider-Man uh, Spider line that had like Silk and Ashley Barton. Mm -hmm. um, the X-Men line that currently came out. Uh, I guess the Build-A-Figures were like Absorbing Man, Space Knight Venom, and then now Juggernaut. Right. Um, yeah. I also did uh, several of the Doctor Strange ones because um, there was a lot of movie tie-in art I believe they used. And uh, they've been great too. Like it's, it's surreal to be like I'm making pretend toys and now I'm able to do the real toys but also little gags like the Deadpool one I just showed you. Mm -hmm. I'd actually proposed that I wanted to put stickers on that where Deadpool was talking to the guy, the per the consumer at the storefront, where he's saying something like, "Help, get me out of here," <laughs> or or something to that effect, like going meta and breaking the fourth wall, like the character does. And unfortunately, there were certain limitations, and we couldn't do that. But I was able to do that then on the pretend one that I did for Marvel, right. where Deadpool's calling me out and, you know, <laughs> ragging on me about how, needing coffee and all that other fun stuff. So if you're working on the Marvel Legends packages, real quick to technical question, do you just draw that in grays and they tone it since, like, all the X-Men ones were yellow and everything? Yeah, no, I do. I do paint them grayscale. And then, but I actually do the tones. You know, we, oh. we, we get a color that's approved, and then I submit it with, with those colors on there. Okay. Um, and I actually draw them quite much, quite a bit larger, because the package, you know, has, like, the cutout, the die cut. Mm -hmm. I draw a full image of the character, effectively, so that, I mean, if they ever wanted to use it for promo promotional material, but also, like, it helps free them up to be able to reposition the character, make it fit in the box, maybe better than, and the die cut better than I would have done. And... But on the comics you're doing currently, you've got kind of this red stripe, and that's that's your own design, right? Yeah, it, it is my own design. I mean, I, I would be lying if if I wasn't influenced by other lines and stuff like that, you know. Of, um, but yeah, it, it was. It, they literally approached me and they said after after Secret War, after you know Star Wars Secret War, uh, then uh, the X Men ones and stuff. It was like, what would you do if you ha if if you were to create your own action figure line. Mm -hmm. And so those were kind of a byproduct of that, like doing a more premium style looking figure, um, all the accessories, like that's half the fun for me. Um, 
of doing them is like all the different heads, the hands, the guns, the 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 nuances there. And uh, it's been able to be like really cool because also I'm being not only am I being asked to do certain characters, but they also are open to recommendations or things I want to do. So like, you know, my daughters are big Squirrel Girl fans, so it's like, can I do a Squirrel Girl? And they're like, sure. Um, you know, the Devil Dinosaur one. Um, oh, that able- one was awesome, by the way. Thank the you. wraparound cover. Oh, thank you. I, yeah, it was <laughs> It was so cool to be able to, like, I mean, I was honored that they were willing to give me a back cover because that's, like, prime real estate, right? For, mm-hmm. like, you lose ad revenue with that. And um, to be able to do that, to, but all of the characters are actually to scale. So if you were to line them up, I mean, like, Captain America is, like, 6'3", and he's standing next to Squirrel Girl, who's 5'6". Like, they all match up in length so I had to make Devil Dinosaur like flipping huge to make him like a 30 foot tall Tyrannosaurus and I'll say that I've had a lot of people write in to our show and I even said it when we reviewed uh, Space Venom build a figure on our very last episode Yeah, I said your cover was better it came with like the oh. teeth head and why didn't Hasbro give us a teeth head <laughs> no, I mean, no I mean hey you know there's I, I, I have a reality that Pretty much, ink doesn't cost that much. Yeah. Plastic does. So, you know, like, it, it's cool, but... But it, that's what the people are saying, is they see how many accessories you put in. And I think we oh, you know, we all understand the reality of the situation. But they say, you know, wouldn't it be great if the figures we're buying from Hasbro came with as many accessories as you're drawing? I'm just trying to play damage control right now. <laughs> so if anybody from Hasbro's watching, like, the Legends line is amazing. Oh, you it don't is. need the accessories. It's all, yeah, it's, it's. <laughs> Oh, this, this same episode, I interviewed them and told them they're spoiling us with how great the figures are. Definitely. No, like Absolutely. I said, I mean, it's, it's my office. And in fact, I actually am getting two of every one so I can have the box with the mm-hmm. art on it. But then I want the character out so I can pose them because I've also got all the Build-A-Figures. I've had the previous ones as well. Like, nice. I've been collecting these guys for a long time. Hasbro, Hasbro gets like half my money. It's great. <laughs> and they, they pay you and get it back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're out of trade. So I'm just going to have to ask, you know, you're doing the red style now, but I did love when you went back to the X-Men covers and some of those others. Any chance of looking at some of those? I mean, you mentioned Generation X, which had its own dedicated toy line, yeah. but also I remember the, like, dark side figures that had, like, the vermin and the... Oh, yeah, I mean, there, was, there, there were so many different ones. I mean, they, they, we've kind of established that vibe as, like, the not necessarily suit hyper retro, but like mm-hmm. 90s look. So, um, for example, the champions that I'm doing, not only am I doing a red label champions that is a two pack of like Viv Vision and Nova or like Hulk and Miles or whatever that may be, but we're also doing 90s style of like Ghost Rider and nice. other characters that are like super, like they're all really cheesy and I love that again like that's cool so it's like we got the 90s packages and the modern (laughs) ones to kind of juxtapose against each other I didn't even know what you were doing I noticed I I placed my pre-orders at Midtown online so I get every one of your covers and I noticed with the champions it's like oh there's two of them now Yes. so So now I know what I'm looking forward to (laughs) retro and uh, modern man so yeah well hey keep it up please I have enjoyed uh, collecting your covers as much as I enjoy collecting action figures. Absolutely. Thank you. That mean, You don't know what that means to me, so thank you so, very much. All right. Thanks again for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure, my man. Thank to you. To John for coming on the show. 
so much fun. So guys, another New York Comic Con in the books. It was enjoyable just to kind of experience the show and see what it was all about, uh, be into a bigger show like this. Uh, Hopefully I'll get out to San Diego Comic Con one day, but this was definitely one of the larger cons to go to. You know, the highlight of any show is always just hanging out with your friends. And, you know, we went to dinner with a lot of the New York collectors on Saturday night, uh, getting to see them. And there's a lot of people from out of town there as well. Probably the best collectible. Um, yeah, probably my favorite collectible of the show, though, was I uh, got some artwork done in Artist Alley. They have a, an amazing Artist Alley at New York Comic Con, probably one of the biggest you'll see anywhere. And I picked a, uh, two pieces. One was from an artist named Chris, and the other one was from one called Nooligan. Uh, some of the first sketch covers I've actually had done completely. So I really appreciate the hard work that those guys put in on doing them in uh, just the weekend. Yeah, Artist Alley was great. I was talking to Tamsin Isles, who is Adi Granov's wife, and they've toured the world. And she said when it comes to American pop culture and comic book art, there is no show better than New York Comic Con. Not Emerald City, not San Diego, not C2E2, although I think it's a pretty good show too. Both San Diego and C2E2 are great, but she said New York's the one. And yeah, I didn't see a ton of Star Wars prints, but the sketches you got and the commissions you can get. And I did pick up a couple of Star Wars prints here and there, too. And just a great, great artist alley. I have to say that my favorite part of it was, again, seeing the people that I don't see very often and hanging out and talking to friends, which is always great. I only bought a few things Star Wars and they weren't for me, but I can't say what they are and why they're my favorite yet. So we'll have to talk in January. Yeah, agreed. The best part is... Hanging out with friends. Daryl doesn't live but a few hours from us, but we see you too rarely. And hanging out with you, C2E2 and Wizard, and now New York Comic Con, it's always a blast. And then all the friends that we saw there, Joe and Michael and Gus and Pam and all of them, was really fun. I didn't buy a whole lot of collectibles either, shipping back and everything. I think, though, I'm... Real happy still with the badge set I got you, Marjorie, and that Rogue One pop. I mean, it's an exclusive. It's one I can kind of check off the list and not worry about. And just even the people I talked to at Hasbro and at Kotobukiya with Dan and talking to John Tyler Christopher. It was so much fun seeing all the toys and just the energy of the crowd. So, yeah, I... I was about to say I can't wait till next year, but I need a breather. It's been a lot of cons this year, so I need a breather, but I am looking forward to doing it again next year. And hanging out with you, Daryl, first at Celebration, and then what, C2E2's a week later? Yeah, I may not be able to do the double on that one, so we'll, we'll see. But yeah, definitely hang out with you at Celebration. And to finish off this week... On Tuesday, Disney Publishing brought out their young adult novel, Ahsoka, which bridges the gap of what happened in the young Jedi's life between the time she left the Jedi Order during the Clone Wars and she reappeared in Rebels. Here reviewing that for us is Brock. This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club Liaison, with a spoiler-free as possible review of Star Wars Ahsoka by E.K. Johnston. Review copy courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. Audio presentation read by Ashley Eckstein. 
A year after Order 66, Imperial forces land on the planet Ahsoka Tano is hiding out on, and she is forced to flee to a small farming moon on the outer rim called Raida that has seemingly little to offer the Empire, which is exactly why Ahsoka picked it. Ahsoka quickly falls in with some local farmers, primarily 17-year-old Caden and her younger teenage sister Mira, and starts to make a new life for herself as a mechanic under her alias Ashla, all the while preparing for the worst in outlying caves hiding stores of supplies, food, and mechanics. Sure enough, the Empire does come, installing new rules on the locals and making the farmers plant a new crop they know will destroy their soil, their livelihood, and eventually their homeworld forever. Ahsoka steps in to help them, but some of the locals have their own rebellious ideas. And there's this gray-skinned alien with a double-bladed lightsaber who is hearing of possible Jedi activity in the Raida sector. Such is the plot of Star Wars Ahsoka. Star Wars Ahsoka by E.K. Johnston is the story of Ahsoka settling into finding her place in this new galaxy ruled by the Empire. The journey she takes in this novel of getting involved in rebellion, both independent and organized, is a good story to tell, as she shows up in Star Wars Rebels in a different place where she left off in Star Wars The Clone Wars. If you're looking for a definitive story of the character of Ahsoka, how she was affected and scarred by leaving the Jedi Order and then Order 66, how she comes to grips with her personal losses, her place in the galaxy, with who she is and who she wants to be, how she gets her white lightsabers and how all this leads her to becoming Fulcrum, well, this book just might be for you. <laughs> all these elements are explored, but without deep themes or complex plot machinations. This is a young adult novel aimed at 12 to 17 year olds. This book is reminiscent of John Jackson Miller's exceptional Kenobi novel, but again, less thematically intricate. Uh, this gets as deep as an episode of Rebels. As in Rebels and even the Clone Wars cartoon, there are portions of the novel that get a little darker than you may expect, but that is needed for the story. The intended audience can surely handle it, especially how it's presented and Ahsoka nicely learns from the events, using them to build character and motivation, and it all comes together. E.K. Johnston is a first-time Star Wars author, and I am familiar with her other works. Ms. Johnston does well with getting the voice of Ahsoka and the other characters we know, and achieving the right feel and tone for this part of the Star Wars timeline. As an adult experiencing this book aimed at a younger reader, I was impressed with how she didn't water down the Star Wars too much. There is public execution, imperial oppression, and plenty of talk of insurgency, and plenty of death. The action scenes are less frequent than expected, but they get the job done when they do occur. I found the prose easily digestible, and while not overly descriptive, I thought it worked for the target audience, and especially well in the audio presentation I was provided for this review. And I felt the author captured the era of the timeline quite well, fitting Ahsoka firmly in this world. The author gets a nice inner monologue for Ahsoka as we read her, weigh her options, feel guilt for past actions, feeling the emotional weight of her past, of her present wandering, and coming into her own. All this good stuff is here to read. We get a self-aware, maturing character with some nice emotional weight for a young adult novel. The climax of the novel and the epilogue are some of the most satisfying moments, as well they should be, and the book was able to keep its momentum through the end. Lastly, I found this book lacked of fun, a sense of humor. I was into it the whole time, but the two times I can recall there was a smack of humor, it was so welcome, and the book could have used an infusion of that more often to balance it out. The best character work outside of Ahsoka is Bail Organa, 
as we read about him balancing his life as a senator, running a secret upstart rebellion, and dealing with his home life at the same time. And we get some great unexpected moments for the saga story here as a whole as a result. And along with Bail Organa, we see Captain Antilles and three other popular Star Wars saga characters making welcome appearances. Who they are, I, I won't spoil that surprise. Some nice character moments for all three of those familiar characters, and a breakthrough moment for one that I didn't expect to find here at all. In fact, I thought we'd see that in a solo book sometime in the future, or perhaps a comic book, or maybe one of those industrious anthology movies, if they keep getting those made. The group of farmers we get to know on the moon of Raida are mostly interchangeable. I didn't get a great connection to any of them, much like characters you'd meet in an episode arc of a Star Wars cartoon. The main new character, the naive 17-year-old Caden, takes an instant liking to Ahsoka, and in fact, I sensed throughout the novel there was an attraction to Ahsoka going on, but that was never explored beyond the inferences. There is an older, world-wise, one-mantral Tragruta who runs the local cantina who has some nice bits with Ahsoka, but he quickly falls into being her ordinance man as the book goes on. Would have liked to have seen more of him. The few scenes with the Force-sensitive toddler Hadala were especially poignant and well done. And the Inquisitor is less experienced than the ones we run into in Star Wars Rebels, and he's written with some nice menace given the part he plays in the book. I am, of course, familiar with audiobook reader Ashley Eckstein, and I thought having her do the reading of this book was an inspired move and added life to the presentation. I especially enjoyed her performance as Ahsoka, hearing her introspection passages in the character's actual voice. Her other characterizations worked. She changed her voice timbre for males, had some strong choices there, especially with the character of Vartan, and she did subtle changes in her voice for the sisters Caden and Mira, which helped differentiate between the characters and her narration in her speaking voice was nicely different from her Ahsoka character. Ms. Eckstein did a great job. On a technical level, through the book there are some flashback portions that come up. They are not titled interlude or anything, and while I was listening to the audiobook for this review, I found these jarring. I mean, after a minute I'd catch on that they're going back in time, but it would have been nice to have some sort of stronger indication that we're in a flashback. At the start of each chapter, when they say chapter 2, for example, they have this unique sound underneath as an announcement that the chapter is beginning. For these flashbacks, perhaps a distinctive sound, a swoosh or something, that indicated that they're derivating from the main plotline for a moment. The Star Wars movie music is used sparingly, but in the right spots. And Star Wars sound effects added a nice punch and were used to, pardon the expression, good effect. No doubt in my mind, this novel would make a great animated movie, in the vein of the DC Comics direct-to-video movies like Justice League, The New Frontier, Doom, The Flashpoint Paradox, that adapt comic book threads into movies. So I hope they're planning such an event, if for nothing else, perhaps for a Disney XD special movie event or something. Overall, Star Wars Ahsoka is a well-executed young adult novel, in concept and on the page, that fills in some blanks in the new Star Wars canon and in the timeline of the grander OT galactic events for those older, interested Star Wars fans to make this a worthwhile, albeit quick, read for that set as well. To be frank, I likely would have skipped this one now, as I am out of the target demographic. Maybe I would have gotten around to it when my daughter was of age, but I'm pleasantly surprised with Star Wars Ahsoka and can give this a hearty recommend for the intended audience this holiday season, and even for us Star Wars EU fans as well. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. (laughs) 
Thank you, Brock. You know, these Disney young adult novels, because it's all canon now, you know, it's all the story group, it's new canon. These young adult novels, a couple of times now, I'm hearing great things about. I think they're going to have to go into my required reading, or at least audiobooks, since I'm busy reading a lot of other stuff. And that is it for our show this week. I am so excited for our next show in two weeks, because we've got that Amazon Black Hole Stormtrooper helmet, and we've got some more of the Rogue One six-inch figures to review. And don't forget to thank our sponsor, Dorkside Toys, by heading over there. Use the link from our website. They have up for order a number of Black Series figures, including Episode 4 Obi-Wan and Episode 4 Leia. You can order the entire first wave of Rogue One Black Series 6-inch figures. It ships within 24 hours. And they have a really good selection of the latest 3 and 3 quarter inch figures as well. And they just have shipping in 24 hours the new Bandai movie realization samurai-styled Stormtrooper figure. $89.99 and free domestic shipping. And we thank them for their support of our show. Daryl, thanks for joining us this week, and thanks for joining us at New York. It was a blast. Thanks for having me on the show. I had a total blast at New York Comic Con and hope to make it back there next year. I also want to say a special thank you to Andrew and Barrett for taking over the video duties while I was out having fun. So we'll be back in two weeks, and until then, may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find pictures of the toys reviewed, chat with other Star Wars collectors, and find hundreds of Star Wars Action News episodes at our website, SWActionNews.com. This podcast is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. We rely on listener support to keep the show going. You can pledge to our Podbean fundraising campaign by going to SWActionNews.com support. Backers get rewards including exclusive video content, early show releases, and more. You can also help out our show by telling your friends to listen by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or in person. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. We want your feedback on Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can also send us your latest store reports, figure reviews, and more. Email us an MP3 or iPhone voice memo at show at SWActionNews.com. All content received is subject for use on the show. If you also enjoy Marvel Comics, you can hear Arnie and Marjorie talk about the toys and statues based on Marvel Comics characters on the Marvelicious Toys podcast at MarveliciousToys.com. Star Wars Action News is always looking for new people to help with the show. You can find a list of skills we need on our blog at VenganzaMedia.com. 
Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Video editing by Barrett, Andrew, and Daryl. Website design by Jason. Graphic design by Jay. Photo editing by Scott and Curtis. Announcements by Brock. Segments created by Andrew, Brock, Daryl, Jerry, Jonathan, Nathan, and Steve. For more Star Wars collecting, check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, JediTempleArchives.com, and YakFace.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. All rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2016, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. And hanging out with you, Daryl, first at Celebration, and then what, C2E2's a week later? Yeah, I may not be able to do the double on that one, so we'll we'll see. But yeah, definitely C2E2, or definitely Celebration. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're picking one, you pick C2E2? <laughs> I didn't even realize you had the photo. Yeah, he sent me an Ahmed Best Omega. He sent me an Ahmed Best Omega. I can't say that. <laughs> Shut up, Daryl. Okay, he sent me an Ahmed Best autographed photo. <laughs> she just pumped her fist in success. <laughs>